0: This is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At Dobbs.com, shop
1: brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs.
0: For deals you can use, click on com now.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage... All the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm
0: Dan
2: for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, Guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs.
0: Time out for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Goldschmidt, base hit. The
0: hitting streak continues, and it's an extra base hit. On his way to second, Donovan will score. It's a historic double for Paul Goldschmidt. 23rd extra base hit here in the month of May, and no other Cardinal has done that, and he drives in. Donovan, 1-0 St. Louis. Ground ball left side, base hit. Against the shift, The throw by Newpar a strike to the play an outfield assist with the game on the line nude here at bush stadium a bullet from left albert a liner out to left edmund he'll tag up throw to the plate is not in time and pools
1: wins it for st louis in the 10th three two fun baseball fun baseball at bush stadium yesterday the cardinals looking for the sweep later on Maybe this afternoon, Whoa, what maybe that mean, this man? evening.
2: No, it's fine.
1: See how the weather holds off alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Mother Brandon a Cardinals fan. It is B can Ferrario on 101 ESPN. That was the perfect combination of youth and veteran experience. Alex, there was a time probably midway through the blue season after they went through all the COVID issues and when they were starting to get healthy again, where we watched them. Honestly, the, the timing might've been right around the winter classic. And we saw the blue start to come together where you saw Kyrou and Thomas and Buchnevich and these young guys playing up to the the highest possible levels. And at the same time, you had guys like that top line and Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron and Brandon Saad and those veterans starting to come together as well. And I was like, okay, I kind of see the way that this could work. You've got the four checking line. You've got the line that plays with skill and speed and everything starting to come together. We'll see if this is able to sustain the way that it did with the blues. But last night reminded me a little bit of that. You had Waino, seven innings, 10 strikeouts, looking just, I I think Nupar said it perfectly, like vintage Waino, except it's no longer vintage. This is just who he is now at this point in time. It's kind of like a David Perron where he just seems to get better with age. You have... A Paul Goldschmidt getting on base three times and extending both his on base and his hitting streak last night. You have Albert pools coming through with the big game winning RBI at the end. And you have a guy like Newpar coming in and making an unbelievable throw from left field. That was the perfect combination of youth. And by the way, I, I need to mention Brendan Donovan as well. A couple of huge walks in that game, too. He's now got an on base percentage exceeding 350 on the year some just unbelievable plays from both the older veterans on this team and also the youth that we've been talking about all year long that's the
2: combination this Cardinals team needs
1: to be looking for
2: that's the recipe for success and they did it against a team in the San Diego Padres that you know you can't sit there and go with the excuse of oh well they did it against the Pirates or the Reds now you did it against the Padres and I know they're they don't have Fernando Tatis Jr. and I know their pitching might not be the best. Their but pitching's damn good. <laughs> that's the one thing they've is got right now. So surprising because last year we were talking about how yep. awful their pitching was and the the complete. I guess that's the uh, Mike Schilt effect, right, T Bone? Eh. Okay. Well, th- th- this was <laughs> sure. This was the, the the perfect combination, but this was the grinded out victory also for the Cardinals because your your starting pitcher. I mean, he defeated father time like David Perron and the blues did once again. I mean, 10 strikeouts, one walk is just insanity with Adam Wayne, right? But it's what we'd expect with them. You know, they give up some runs and then they fight their way back into it and win it in the bottom of the 10th. So that was a, uh, that was a full, that was a full man effort in my opinion for the Cardinals. And honestly, I don't know if we've seen that type of win at all this season yet in terms of fighting back from adversity adversity where everybody's chipping in in this one I mean you're talking about Tommy Edmond was the only guy other so so it was Edmund Molina and Donovan were the only guys that didn't get hits but Donovan walked Sosa got striked or struck out and Edmund struck out so I mean like two of your three or two of your nine guys didn't come away with a hit in this one yep.
3: Yeah, it was a game that the adversity, especially because you give up the two-run shot in, what was it, the seventh inning to the ninth-place ninth, ninth place hitter in Grisham. And that can be a bit of a deflator, especially against a team like the San Diego Padres. Now, I, the way that they're able to come back in with the youth and with the veteran players, I, I don't know if we've seen a blend of a Cardinals team like this for some time. I mean, you kind of had it a little bit last year, but it wasn't, I don't think, as much as it is this year, if, if that makes any no, sense. No, definitely not. Because you've got a bunch of the kids that have come up as Memphis Mafia 2.0, and then you've got these older Wiley veterans in the Molinas and poolses and um, Adam Wainwright. The the blend is perfect, and, and it's at the right time, too, for the Cardinals, where you're getting the kind of the Uh, changing of the guard, per se, because you've got guys like Juan Yepez who's learning from an Albert Pujols. You've got Nolan Gorman, all these kids that can learn from him. You've got, uh, I know he hasn't been up as much this year, but you've got a Herrera and Andrew Kisner that can learn from uh, Yadier Molina, and then you've got the guys on the pitching staff. We've seen Jack Flaherty. I know he's not pitching right now, but you see him having conversations with a Adam Wainwright. I'm sure Matthew Libertor is going to take the obligations to talk with an Adam Wainwright. It's just perfectly blended to where these guys can talk with these veterans, and they can learn from their experience And then if they're producing on the field, it just adds to the pot of why you're so grateful to have these guys on the team.
1: I know we've made a lot of comparisons to 2011. I would say the closest to that point, uh, Tanner is probably 2015. We had Colton Wong kind of coming into his own at that point. You had Randall Grichik, Stephen Piscotty, Matt Adams kind of working their way into the uh, into the lineup. Michael Walker, Carlos Martinez were then 23 years old, making their way into your rotation at the back end. You've got Rosenthal and Segrist and Manus like you had some younger guys, especially on the pitching side of things that had really started to establish themselves. That's probably the last time you saw something like this or guys were coming up to the big league level. And not just a couple of them, but it's almost like a wave of players that gets up to the big leagues and contributes all at the same time. But going back to the veteran side of things, what Adam Wainwright did last night was nothing short of magical. I mean, it was unbelievable. Here's the entire list of major league baseball starters in the last 30 seasons to throw at least seven innings. No earned runs allowed and strike out 10 or more after their 40th birthday. So get deep into the game. Do not allow a run. Strike out at least 10 as an older guy. Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens, Tom Glavin, John Smoltz, Nolan Ryan, and now Adam Wainwright. But yet he's not a Hall of Famer. I think he's working his way there, man. I really do. What we're watching from him this year, if he ends up doing this again next year, and I... At this point, I'm not putting it past him that he's going to be able to
2: return again oh, in yeah, 2023. He, he's going to be coming back another year. It's it's you, really special. You don't retire when you're pitching this well at this age. Like if he was going to retire, you would have thought it would have been around the year 2017 when he had a five plus ERA. I mean, to be able to locate the way that he is. And I know he's only throwing 89, 90 miles per hour at, at
1: the top end of things. Last night is as good as he's looked all season, though, when it comes to his command. And Ollie Marmol talked a little bit about that after the game last night. Here's what he had to say about Buenos outing and just how impressed he w- was with his stuff.
2: I mean, that was an absolute pitching tutorial. Um, what he did was unbelievable. Just reading swings, uh, the combination of the fastball and the sinker, curveball was in play, good change-ups, a lot of ground balls, punched out, decent amount of guys tonight. Um, but... Um, just overall communication with Yachty, hitter to hitter in game in real time was uh, that was fun to watch tonight. It's been on Hill, man.
1: Adam Wayne right now over the last three seasons. This is since the start of the pandemic shortened 2020 season. Alex, he's thrown 331 innings. And in those 331 innings, he has a 3.02 ERA. That is a 131 ERA+, plus, which is similar to OPS+, plus, where it's me- measured on a scale of 100, and 100 is exactly league average. For context, in his first three years in Major League Baseball, when he kind of reached the, the big leagues and was bursting onto the scene, this is one year as a reliever in 2006, and then the first two years as a starter. He threw 400 innings and had a 3.4 ERA. He has been better over the last three seasons than he was in his first three seasons in the big leagues. I I can't even describe what we're watching right now. This shouldn't be possible.
2: I can describe it. He's got some type of witchcraft voodoo going (laughs) on in his life that he's able to perform at this level. I looked at that this morning and I told you guys from 2017 to 2022. He took a 5.13 ERA to currently holding a 2.25 ERA in each season and he's gone up in age like he might be Benjamin Button for all we know right now but Adam Wainwright is doing stuff that Hall of Famers did and I know a lot of people will push back and say well he's not there yet I think he is call it Homer call call it whatever you want the amount of innings he's pitched the longevity that he has provided and now what he is doing at the tail end of his career the guy looks like a Hall of Famer to me
3: I mean I'm with you 100% he looks like a Hall of Famer because of I think it's most impressive is because of the adjustments he's been able to make throughout his career. And I mean, you go from a guy that could kind of overpower guys with his fastball, throw it in the like low 90s to mid 90s. And then he had the wicked curveball. And then he learned that, okay, I still got the curveball with me and I can use it. But then I can also just have to locate better with my stuff. I can I can get away with throwing 89 when it's got like that perfect movement where it cuts inside at like the last second and catches the strike zone. Like those guys had no chance last night with the way that Adam Wainwright was moving the ball. And then he's able to use the breaking ball and he gets ground balls. I mean, he's just learned, he's adjusted to how the league has gone and he's been able to re- uh, I don't want to say re-improve his skills, but re-learn kind of the art of pitching and how to kind of set guys up and get guys put away because of that. So it's unbelievable seeing Adam Wainwright. And I was just looking at his numbers. You know, they say the second time through the order is when hitters start to really adjust to you. Second time through the order so far this year. First time, by the way. 276 average against 799 OPS second time through the order it's actually Adam surprisingly Wainwright. high I know second time through the order 171 batting average of 405 OPS wow, Adam Wainwright makes the adjustment now his, his third time through the order I'm sure will get much lower he's got those higher numbers but it's just a small sample size right now last year third time through the order was his best time
1: the only pitcher over the last three seasons so since the start of 2020 with more innings pitched than Adam Wainwright Zach Wheeler the only major league starter with more innings pitched than the guy that just turned 40 over the last year is Zach bleep and Wheeler. That's unbelievable, man. ERA, e- R- here are a few guys over the last three years that Wayno has been better than. Garrett Cole, Robbie Ray, uh, Marcus Stroman, Freddie Peralta, Zach Gallon, Yu Darvish, Lucas Giolito, Jose Barrios.
2: I'd take all of those guys on my team. <laughs> I mean, are you kidding me? As much as we talk about or people have
1: talked about how the Cardinals don't have that legit number one starter. Man, they do. It's just not in the form of what you would typically expect. Would you expect. say that he's an ace? He's p- He's pitched like one. He acts like one. I don't know what else you want from a number one starter. He re- he I know that the stuff, quote unquote, doesn't necessarily play up like what you would expect. Like, he doesn't look like a Sandy Alcantara. He doesn't look like what you expect. I think it's out of the youth eighth.
2: with the ace. Like, you, you, yeah. you hear Walker ace and you're Bueller. thinking, yeah, we got a 22-year-old who's going to be here for the rest of his career. Or even Max Scherzer, right? He's still throwing 97-plus regularly.
1: Yeah, but now he can't stay healthy. <laughs> Fair. That guy pitches differently than Wayno does. This is more Rich Hill-esque. That that's kind of what you're seeing is Rich Hill at the end was as good as he ever was. And that's kind of what we're watching right now from Wayno. It's not in the typical package that you would expect, but he could be Charlie Morton for this rotation in the postseason this year. Charlie Morton was the best starter on the Atlanta Braves last year. And he pitched until he couldn't pitch any longer. And that guy helps them win a World Series. So I I don't know if the Cardinals will get there, of course, but that's what Adam Wainwright's been for them so far this year. Look
3: at last year, he went toe-to-toe with Max Scherzer in the wild card game too. I think he he even threw maybe more innings. I think he went five and I think Scherzer was like four and two-thirds or something crazy. So, I mean, he's definitely an ace. He can compete with the top guys at the top level. And we've seen that for the last handful of years.
1: Adam Wainwright, nothing short of amazing, and he was once again that last night. The Cardinals, by the way, don't look now, have won four of their last five games. They have done so against the Milwaukee Brewers, and the San Diego Padres are looking for the sweep tonight. Uh, regular uh, today, tonight, we're take not really two. sure against the Padres as well. Dakota Hudson, oh buddy, it's going to be a long one on the mound for the Cardinals. He
2: even started pitching yet? Yeah, I'll take two or three. You, Darvish. Damn.
1: On the mound for the Padres. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, it is the offseason. That means we got a whole lot of Ferrario 5s ready to oh, go for you. Daily. The five oh. biggest decisions for Army this offseason. <laughs> we'll get to that coming up at 1130. But next, I got to be honest with you guys. There is something that a very, very bright baseball mind thinks about the Cardinals that I just could not disagree with more. Ah, oh, shucks. Tell you what yeah, that is thanks, coming buddy. up next year on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Wish they would
3: look at their rotation now where it's Miles Michaelis, Adam Wainwright, Dakota Hudson, you know, Libertor, who's brand new and basically a, a question mark or, or spin the carousel with hopes of Matt's coming back healthy and hopes of Flaherty coming back healthy and say there's room in this group to add add something.
1: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Ben Fredrickson on the best podcast in baseball yesterday. That audio courtesy of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I understand where he's coming from. If you want to say right now, hey, the Cardinals need another starter, I get it. And I, I don't even necessarily disagree with you. I could see them adding a starter and I could get behind it. But not the kinds of starters that we're throwing out there as possibilities. I, I just don't understand how we can look at this right now and say to ourselves, ah, this is June all over again. Alex, I have grown increasingly frustrated by that assessment of this current rotation. Can we talk about what actually happened with the rotation in June last year? Because here's what it was. The Cardinals last year in June had one starter they could count on. One. It was Adam Wainwright. He had five starts. He went 30 innings in those five starts. You could count on John Gant in June. So here's what John Gant did last June. He gave you five starts and 20 innings pitched. In, Not exactly like what you're looking for.
3: Walks. We're 25 walks in that.
1: He was walking uh,
2: eight batters per nine innings. What so was basically
1: this? one per what inning.
2: What was his ERA in June? He had an 8 ERA oh, in the month of June. <laughs> okay, I thought he was better than that. It all caught up to him. <laughs> oh, you know God. who else
1: you had in your rotation at that point in time?
2: Uh, honestly, I don't remember who they a gentleman had. Gentleman
1: by the name of Carlos Martinez. Would oh, you like right. to hear what he did?
2: Uh, I Whoa. know. It's it's like a 17 ERA.
1: He had six starts, gave you 25 innings, and had an 11 ERA, including that god-awful performance that ultimately more or less was ended the, his career here in St. Louis against in, the Giants. The Dodgers. Dodgers. Oh, the Dodgers. Where it felt like he was going to give up a run every time another guy came up to the plate. It was that awful. You had Wade LeBlanc, who was the savior. Oh, no,
3: he was good.
1: He got one start at the end of the month, gave you four innings, and he was, he was pretty solid. He saved your bacon eventually. But the other guys that were in that rotation at that point in time... KK, five starts, 22 innings. He had a four ERA. He was fine, but he didn't give you any length whatsoever. Johan Oviedo, he was a stalwart in the rotation at that point. Five starts, 23 innings, had a five one ERA. He was walking the world as well. Your rotation is not even close right now to what it was a year ago. Not even close. I can have all of my issues that I want to with Dakota Hudson. He's better than all of those guys not named Wayno in in your rotation from a year ago. I can have all of my issues that I want to right now about Matthew Libertor and the walks that he had in his first start. Man, I will take Matthew Libertor over any of those guys not named Wayno last year. And the biggest difference, and it is critical that you have this guy, is Miles Michaelis. This time around, instead of having one guy that can stop the bleeding in Wayno every five days, you have two now. You've got Michaelis and you've got Wayno, And eventually, and it sounds like it's not too far off, you should have Steven Matz coming back as well. I understand it has not been the start that any of us wanted from Steven Matz. But if you're telling me that Wade LeBlanc was significantly better than what I should expect now from Steven Matz, I just don't believe that to be true. I think Steven Matz can absolutely be Wade LeBlanc plus. So are they in the same position that they were a year ago in June? Absolutely not, guys. And this panic that seems to be settling in over certain corners of Cardinals fans. Guys, let's go down. Let's go down to the beach.
2: Let's grab some mai tai. Don't go to the beach. There's no beach in St. Louis, let's go, man. That's let's the Mississippi. All, let's all. He doesn't take a, go to the beach. who Let's. He's at the pool. Hey, you sit at the damn pool at the hotel, man. All
1: right, fine. Let's get. It. Let's go down to the pool. Let's get a mai tai. Let's get a frozen daiquiri. Whatever your style is, it's is gonna be all right, man. This rotation is not where it was last June. We got to remember what that looks like because that was bad.
2: I I I am with you, and I second everybody's panic that they just need to pump the brakes a little bit there. I'm not concerned about the rotation. I'm a little more concerned about the bullpen. That's where my concern level lies. And I think... Which ties into the rotation. Yes and no. Yes and no. Like The fatigue factor, of course, ties into it. But you're relying on a couple of guys if some of the 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 starts go haywire, you're relying on a couple of guys to give you a lot of innings that I'm not sure if they can do that throughout the longevity of this season. Like Drew Verhagen, you know what? He's looked good. But I was about to say, have you looked at Drew yeah. Verhagen's numbers? But i, but I, I was always shocked
1: to see he has some ERA below like three on the year. But
2: there's a reason he's not in the circle of trust for me. It's because Fair. every, time, well, he mo- it? no, every huh. time he takes the mound. No, every time he takes the mound. Well, we might need to update it because our boy Gallegos is struggling a little bit.
3: He doesn't wit- Every so time
2: man. Verhagen steps to the mound, I'm thinking, "Oh God, this! Please don't go go. Please don't go haywire on me." Nick Whitgren, the same for me, where it's like, "Oh God, please don't go out of hand." There's just certain guys in that bullpen that I'm still a little skeptical about, and maybe and that's that. just on me. But I'm not sitting here thinking, "Oh God, they're going to have the worst stretch of the month this month because of the, because of their starting pitching." Their starting pitching's good. It's the bullpen that I'm just a little skeptical about.
3: See, I. I think their starting pitching is fine. I I have no con. My biggest concern is just that the three guys aren't going deep enough in games for me, and that's the concern. They're not anywhere by. Those means of June. I'm not going to set the panic alarms like we were at in June because June was just completely awful last year. But I, I think there it's fair to have some concerns. Now I wouldn't hit the panic button, but I would be a little bit concerned because you're not getting any length out of Dakota Hudson. That fifth spot right now is just a bullpen start, which is Paxton and Andre Pallante right. piggybacking it. And honestly, Pilante's pitched so well, I don't know if I want him to become this long reliever that covers three or four innings. Uh, He should be playing up a little bit higher role coming out of my bullpen, in my opinion. Uh, But then the other one is right now, Matthew Libertort. He's just a big question mark for me right now. He's only had two starts and, look, maybe he ends up being the answer because I, I think a good rotation is three guys that have solid about six-inning starts for you, and then you've got two guys that you can look at and just go, okay, it's okay if they don't eat the inning because our bullpen's not going to be worn down. I just fear that this bullpen is starting to get taxed enough to the point where it's becoming a little bit of a concern because they're using polante a lot in terms of a number of pitches that have been thrown because they're piggybacking him with a packy not in this fifth rotation spot. We've seen Gallegos was back-to-back days, and Gallegos had his struggles last night. Now, he hasn't struggled all year, so it's not a concern. Turn, but we saw what happened last year if you start to really tax this bullpen. I think Marmol had to go to the bullpen more than he would like to so far this year because they're just not getting a lot of deep starts from their starters and I think the number one guy you're going to look at is Dakota Hudson. Hudson has to be a guy that's going to go deeper into these games and look, he's got the stuff to do. it. We've talked about it all along. He just has got to throw strikes and that's been his biggest uh, backbreaker for him is he's just not throwing strikes. I, I'd like to see someone grab the reins of this fifth starter spot to to kind of make me feel more comfortable with it. Look, I like Packy Naughton not as a starter, though, where he only gives you, what was it, an ed- uh, ending in two-thirds or something like that in his last start where he went one time through the, ro- the lineup. They need someone to kind of take the reins of that fifth starter spot so they can avoid bullpen games. When they do that, then I think everything will kind of settle itself in and every- some of that panic should last. His name's Steven Matz.
1: Like, he- he's coming back. He's a week away right now, according to all reports. But Stephen so, Matz
2: is the kind where you get one really good start and then the next start is you're only getting three innings out of him. That's what we got. That's what we got. That's it, where I get concerned, though. But that was Wade LeBlanc. Like, Wade LeBlanc last year. Yeah, they didn't
3: have LeBlanc on a four-year contract. And I understand, but we can worry about that Yeah, I'm not worried about
2: the longevity of it. I'm if, more worried if, about my, the longevity of the actual bullpen. When I hear people talk about how Wade LeBlanc saved them last
1: year by just giving them innings, or Jay Happ and John Lester, those guys saved you by just giving you innings, guys, those innings that they gave you were no different than what we're watching right now out of Matthew Liberator or what we're expecting out of Stephen Matz. If we have this big of concerns about the bullpen crumbling under the pressure of the innings, well, then we have questions about the bullpen. It's not necessarily about the rotation. Do you guys know where the Cardinals rank right now in the month of May? So we just finished that month. The month of May in terms of innings pitched by their starters Is and Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, I'd say top 10.
3: I'd say it's probably high, but a lot of teams aren't having a lot of starters go deep either.
1: It's 17th. They're oh. right in the middle of the pack. Ooh, that's worse than I thought. I mean, it's, it's about where I expect it's average. To it's totally average. And that's what you're getting out of your rotation. Who's right in now. First, it's, by the way, is it Milwaukee? Uh, I'd have to go back and, and look at it. But like over Tampa over the last two weeks, the Cardinals have got less from their starters, but they're at basically 60 innings pitched by their starters over the last couple of weeks. It's right around average. They're getting about an an inning ish less than most teams are in terms of the, the major league average uh, over the last couple of weeks. It's just not all this, this, that, that significant in terms of what they're getting compared to the other teams around the league. Are they getting into an innings crunch right now with some of the doubleheaders and the lack of time off? Sure, no doubt about it. And I'm not going to disagree with anybody who would suggest that. But the panic that has set in in some corners is just too much. And here's Ben Fredrickson talking about one option that I have seen thrown around out there. That is not the answer. Do not try to sell me on Dallas Keuchel.
2: Left-handed. He is a high ground ball rate guy playing in front of a terrible defense. The Cardinals turn a lot of ground balls into outs. They're in a pitcher's park. There's a lot there to say, hey, if you wanted to give Keuchel a shot and you didn't think he was a negative to your your clubhouse, then I, I could see him bring him in and say, hey, here's your shot. And if it doesn't work, they cut him. Get rid of him. BK, you just saw the musical Hamilton. He's not going to blow away his shot. Dallas Keuchel, right now, this is it. This, he just described John Lester. Except for the fact that he walks
1: everybody right now.
2: No, he just said he's a ground ball guy. He's walking yeah. because he knows his defense is
1: awful behind him. He has walked 10% of the batters that he has faced over the last two years. The issues that I have with Dakota Hudson... What you're seeing so far over the last couple of seasons from Dallas Keuchel is worse. It's he's lost, but, yeah. but the walks
2: that he's given up are because he's not going long in games because his defense is awful. No, yeah, the walks that he's giving up is, is because he has no command. He's yeah, not no, commanding no, no, the no, baseball anymore. Five innings, no runs given up to the Yankees. That looks pretty good to me. They're Four innings, good. two zero runs given up to the Royals. They're pretty good. Remember, you've told us that.
1: Okay, I wouldn't have used that. He well, stinks. He, he's man. only pitched against a couple of. He's not good anymore. You're, the same issues that people have with like any of the starters that you don't like that are walking a bunch of guys right now, whether it be with the Cardinals or elsewhere that you didn't want, that's Dallas Keuchel. If you told me five years ago the Cardinals could get Dallas Keuchel, hell, maybe even three years
2: ago that they could.
1: I'm signing up. I'm all in. This version of Dallas Keuchel is washed, man. It might just be over for him.
2: That's what you said about Jay Hatton. Look what happened.
1: If yeah. you want to go out there and make a big Willie Adamas type of move, I'm in. Let's sign me up. I am ready to go. This Let's is the improve. Willie Adamas
2: move. Right here. <laughs> All you got to do is sign the guy. This yeah, is true. worse Wade LeBlanc. No. Whoa. No. That's Whoa. not yeah. true. That's not true. This is a better John Lester. This is worse Aaron Brooks.
1: Nope. No, 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 no. I don't think no. anything could be that bad. Synthesis. <laughs> no. no. I don't that need bad. that. So I'm going to go back to my beach pool. I, you know, I don't go to the beach. My pool, and I'm going to sit here on my Mai Tais, my frozen daiquiris, my pina coladas. I'm going to be sipping on
2: my, my drinks next to the pool. Weird. On, <laughs> why you go to the pool with Aaron Brooks, man? <laughs> and you're sipping on pina coladas? On Cardinal Starter Island. And and I'm feeling good about it as the
1: Cardinals assess their spot as we enter the month of June. This ain't going to be June of 2021. We don't have to worry about that here in St. Louis. I don't understand
2: why you're concerned about the minimum salary for a guy who could come in and for you. Yeah. Well, (laughs) dude was incredible. Overstating things. Just go get him. He was playing on a bad team. He was on the White Sox. They're a
1: bad team. They're
3: 500. We're above 500. Yeah.
1: Fighting for first glove. in the NL Central. Gold Glovers. Have you seen the defense lately? Yeah. It's been Look, unreal. He gets the ball on the ground, not <laughs> yeah. in the air. Okay. Lars Nupar <laughs> threw somebody out from left field. Yeah. That defense looked Edwin pretty good to me. he play
3: last night? running into the, what is it called? The netting? Yeah.
1: yeah that was incredible. Keichel
3: would be fine here.
2: Yeah,
1: Coming up in What's 15 up three, minutes. We'll get to some questions and answers. You say sub 70, ra I agree with that. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line. But next there was a move today made by the blues that I think makes all the sense in the world. And Alex has five others that he thinks will happen this off season. We'll tell you what they are coming up next year on one Oh one ESPN.
0: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on one Oh one ESPN.
1: I look at the D, and I think we got pretty good D. Forwards might, might want one on the tape, but we're deep at, at D, I think. I don't think every team can have what we have throughout the, the top six. Um, you know, they might have a higher-end guy. Uh, obviously, we don't have a superstar defenseman, um, but we have a lot of good call that uh, that are comfortable, that have kind of played in all different
2: situations um, down in...
1: That was Justin Falk yesterday. should have done a better job of oh, cutting that. What else is new? BK
2: cutting somebody else talk while they're talking.
1: <laughs> oh, come on. Alongside Alex Ferrario. Got, Got him. him. And Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Justin Falk was talking about the depth that the Blues had on their defensive core. And Alex, the Blues continue to keep some of that depth uh, earlier today, announcing a move on a two-year, two-way deal with Callie Rosen. This is not a move that is going to cause a whole lot of headlines nationally. In fact, probably zero headlines nationally, but I love it. I think this is the type of move that the blues made early on last year that allowed them to have the depth that honestly kept them afloat in the playoffs. If you didn't have Callie Rosen in game four against the the wild, I don't think the blues make it. To the second round of the playoffs, much less having any sort of a chance against the Avalanche. So this is a smart move in my mind, and I'm glad they got this done early.
2: Yeah, it just uh, look, I mean, I know people are going to look at this and be like, why the, the hell should we care about Callie Rosen? And, and rightfully so. I mean, Callie Rosen going into next season, I think, is going to be playing for the Springfield Thunderbirds, and he would be a emergency piece if you need somebody like he would be eighth on a depth chart, in my opinion, if you're putting it together. But if you think about what this offseason could potentially hold for the Blues, I mean, you know, you've got Falk, Krug, Colton Pareko, Robert Bortuzzo under contract for next season. Um, Marco Scandella is there, but you don't know what the outlook's going to look like. Your restricted free agents are Nico Mikkel and Scott Perinovich. You don't know what the the money slash availability is going to look like in terms of what Doug Armstrong decides to do. So right now you're in all reality looking at having five guys under contract next season on the defensive side. And when you go into the minors, There's not a whole lot there. I mean, the five guys that are under contract for the Blues currently playing for the Springfield Thunderbirds are Matthew Kessel, who's a 21-year-old, Tyler Tucker, who's a 22-year-old, Brady Lyle, who's a 22-year-old, Steve Santini, who has one more year of availability, and then Tommy Cross, who's an unrestricted free agent. That's it. So you need somebody like this to have available to you because the way I looked at Colorado in that series, when they lost Samuel Girard... They went to a guy who's played top four minutes before in Jack Johnson. And if they would have had to go to the next guy, they would have gone to a guy who was a first-round draft pick, Ryan Murray you got to have depth, and Callie Rosen provides that for Doug Armstrong. Yeah, it's
1: a smart move. It's not one that's going to cause you to start buying your season tickets next year, but <laughs> it's the type of move that you get. out. This is housekeeping. That, that's what this is. It's early off You get the easy moves. stuff out of the way. 100%. It's not hard to do. You decide. I, I love that it's a two-way deal. That yep. was my only question when, when we got the news that they had re-signed Callie Rosen was, Is this a one-way deal where he has to make the NHL roster or he ends up getting an opportunity to go elsewhere? And it's not that. The Blues can keep him in the AHL next year and they've still got that depth of defense and he doesn't to have them.
2: to go through waivers Absolutely. Which, for people that don't know like you basically if you're one way you're exposed if they're if you're in the NHL and you send to the AHL you're exposed to all other teams and they can claim you for what you're making and he doesn't have to do that you go up and down as Doug Armstrong pleases uh, for your defensive depth and in a best case scenario
1: he doesn't play on the,
2: on the NHL Absolutely. roster next
1: year in a worst case scenario though he's available to you if you need him all right that is one decision that Doug Armstrong had to make This offseason, there are a whole lot of other decisions, including David Perron, who, let's be honest, that's going to be an easy one. We can just throw him out. He's he's going to be back next year. He's not on this list. That's that's coming (laughs) Uh, on this list. Just a matter of, okay, what's the number? What, what yeah. can we agree upon? Probably somewhere around three and a half, four-ish million dollars per year. Let's get that done on a two-year deal. Keep you here with uh, Ryan O'Reilly. We'll figure it out at the end of that deal. Bada boom, bada bing, we're ready to go. Alex, what are the five biggest decision points, though, for Doug Armstrong this offseason? Might
2: be the worst BK buildup you've ever done, so I'll do this one for you, buddy. T-Bone, hit the open! You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very
0: random things. So Ferrario, give us your top five.
2: So this was number five on my list, and Callie Rosen kind of helped this, but I still think there's more work to be done. There, got He's going to have to decide what the depth on defense is going to look like. Right now, as I stated, your defense going into next season, I mean, you've pretty much got your top six locked down. If no other moves took place, it would be Bortuzzo, Scandella, Pareko Krug, Falk, Mikula, and Perunovic. That would be your top six slash extra defensemen. Do you bring back Nick Letty? And then does that push down a Scott Perunovich and what does it look like in the minors? Because I just, I truly don't think you can have Callie Rosen and say, that's it. I think you have to have at least two guys that you feel confident in coming up to the NHL and playing. If you absolutely need them, you don't want another scenario where let's say two guys go out and you got to call up Steve Santini, no disrespect to Steve Santini, but you can't have a defenseman to be called up in an emergency situation and only play him four minutes you got to have a little bit more depth there. So he's just got to decide, do I want to go out there and get another uh, established defenseman who maybe I pay a million dollars to be a seventh defenseman that pushes Scott Perunovich back? Do I go make one of those big trades to add a guy? So then that pushes everybody back a little bit more on the depth chart. I just think you have to make sure that you are strongest at your defensive depth going into next season. So that's going to be the fifth decision that Doug's going to need to make. Fourth one, I think this is pretty obvious, but it's the backup goaltender. I personally don't think Billy Husso is going to be the guy. I think what? he's going to be. I, I, I know, buddy. I know. But hear me out here.
3: Unbelievable. Charlie. 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 Billy. <laughs> Billy. Here's
2: the thing. I think Billy Husso is going to probably be number one or tied for first in the most desired position in the offseason this year as a free agent. I honestly believe Edmonton sent in a peti-
1: petition last night. Speaking you want of to of that again, buddy. Take two. Hello. I honestly believe Edmonton. Put in a petition to the NHL last night To be able to sign Husso today yeah, As opposed to having to so wait until the offseason That'd be nice actually If few teams could
2: do that I mean, like the seven goals Mike Smith yeah, here's, <laughs> your, here's your depth
1: in,
3: one empty netter?
2: Nah No No Compute. Compute. It wasn't yeah. like there no what, different Let's be honest Here's what the position looks like In the offseason for free agents Marc-Andre Fleury Darcy Kemper Jack Campbell, Ville Husso. Out of those 4 names if you're Edmonton who's who's at the top of that list? I mean Billy, honestly. See, I think Marc Andre Fleury would be number one because of what he has, although Is he gonna sign there though? No, that's going but that's that's what I'm saying. Like he's the number one, but he's only gonna be for a couple of teams. Ville Husso is going to skyrocket to the top of that list, and there's gonna be a lot of teams asking. So Husso's gonna get like five million dollars. Long path for me to Good for him. Long path for me to come here and say, You gotta decide if you're Doug Armstrong who you want as your backup goaltender. Charlie Lindgren was undefeated. We all know the story of Chucky sideburns. Do you feel like he can do that for 30 games in a season for Go you? Go undefeated? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No. Okay. The answer is well, it's no. a good shot then. But is there somebody else? I think he else? can be average for you though. I, I think I can he can give. give you 15 wins, which is sure. all you really ask for from your backup goaltender. But you got you to gotta find somebody who's not going to cost you three plus million dollars. And that's what a lot of those backup goaltenders are going to want. But if Charlie Lindgren, who's 28 years old and just wants to be a part of an NHL roster and get playing time, I think that might be the best decision for the Blues. But you got to decide if you're Doug Armstrong, who is the best option for me? Because I, in the back of my mind, I'm kind of knowing Jordan Bennington might fall off at some point in the regular season because he has in the past. So you got to get somebody who can play there for you. So that was number four. Number three on this list is identify what the fourth line is supposed to look like and, and i think we're gonna we'll do a ferrario five of this later on in the offseason t-bone so get excited for this there's Deep only tees. three three guys on a line so we'll nope, do t nope, three there's gonna be more than that you got to figure out what you want to wait what kind of fourth line are you rolling out there what i happened? like this idea <laughs> we I'm, would I'm be really of, good i'm thinking of going 13 and five like not 11 and seven 13 and five 13 uh, so forwards, when chick wins here defense. you can just put 30 minutes a night mm-hmm. on Chikrenko, Falk, Falk, and Chikran I like it. And then you go five fourth line players at once. Makes sense to me. But I think you got to figure out where you're wanting to go with this. You're going to have Torpchenko playing there. You're going to have a Dakota Joshua fighting for it. They're re-signing Jake Wallman to be a fourth fourth liner. No, Luke Witkowski will be here and he'll be ready to take over that spot for you. My favorite player. You got to decide if you're Doug Armstrong. Do you want size there? Or do we want speed there? Do we want physicality or do we want offense? That's going to be, I think, a really big decision by Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong going into free agency because there's some names out there that I think you can switch the identity of that fourth line if you're going to commit to it this way. I'll go quick through these last two. Number two on this list is who's playing the left side with Colton Pareko. And that ties into number one, is a trade necessary? can Nick Letty do for you what he did in the short sample size all season long when Doug Armstrong made that comment yesterday in his press conference and he said you know we had look at our record with Nick Letty in the lineup when we acquired him I had deja vu of Marco Scandella not saying Nick Letty's going to be that Nick Letty I thought played very good with Colton Pareco but I don't want that again I don't want to go into next season and think oh we just committed to a guy for three more years supposed to play with Colton Pareco and then he drops off so you got to decide, do we want to go big fishing for a guy to play with Colton Pareco consistently? Or can Scott Perunovich play that role for us? If we truly think he can be a top four defenseman and do what Adam Fox and Quinn Hughes and Samuel Gerrard have done with their teams, then give him the shot and don't worry about the trade in that aspect. But if that's the case, is a trade necessary to upgrade your forwards even more so? So I think those two are intertwined. I would be pretty shocked if Perunovich is in your top four.
1: I think Mikola, if you're going internally, is more likely to be in that top four, and I don't think he will either. I think your worst-case scenario going into next year is Nick Letty as your top four defenseman on the left side, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Nick Letty, I think, would be perfectly fine as a top four defenseman for you going into next year. We saw what the record was when he was in the lineup this season, but I think it's worst-case scenario because I think they're going to go big-game hunting. I think they are looking at a... Jacob Chikrin or somebody of That ilk there's probably somebody out there That I'm sure you'll discover Alex As you did last year with uh, Pavel Buchnevich and you'll tell us about Him and a uh, a Ferrario 5 If you listen to us from 11 to 2 You'll know about these moves beforehand You so
2: always want to listen to the Ferraro 5 and the T-Bone 3's That's right we know And then just mute me
1: <laughs> If you do that mute on. T-Bone apparently oh, wow.
3: Dang it, missed my moment.
1: <laughs> I, I think there's going to be somebody available to them this offseason that is an upgrade from what they had at the end of the year with Nick Clady. Hey, And
2: I think that's what they're looking for. They were in conversations towards the very end of getting Hampus Lindholm. Yep. And he went to Boston, obviously. So if that tells you anything, they're looking at that left side as being a, a main course going into next season. And go back to Baruby's per- uh, comments. We've got to make sure that we've got speed and skill on the back end, but you got to have some size. And as much as I loved Nick Letty. I think he might want somebody a little bit bigger than him. Coming up here in about
1: 15 minutes or so, is this the month that the Cardinals take over the NL Central? We'll explain why that could be the case coming up at the top of the hour. But next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's VK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101-ESPN.
1: Air comfort service tax line for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the 314. Hey guys, what are the odds that David Perron stays with the Blues next year? Or do you think that he's gonna be like Albert and take more money from another team? So let's put this out there first. Uh this is very different than yeah. the Albert Pool situation. He's a
3: contract.
2: Albert was 30 years old when he decided
1: to leave. This is probably gonna be Maybe. the last like decent money deal for David Perron. It's tough to say that because he's been playing. so well. Yeah, I was well, gonna say
2: he could. Uh, th- honestly, this is a guy who, to me, could play till he's forty. But this, I think, his next deal will be more similar to what
1: we saw from Tyler Bozak last year, where it's gonna be like mostly incentive laid in a uh, couple see,
2: million I, bucks. See, I think that'll be his next round of contracts. I think this one's probably That's gonna what be. I,
1: I should have clarified there.
2: This contract, I think, you get a couple of years, yeah. like seven million dollars total. After that, it's gonna after be that the, yeah. one is
1: when it goes year to year. I,
2: I, I don't think he's gonna break the bank. Now he could, if he wanted to around the national hockey league, but I just personally, I feel like David Perron just wants to stay where he's most comfortable at. This is home for him. He said it numerous times. I, I think you're probably looking at something like two years, five million million, two two years at most $6 million. And then that's going to take him to age 36 and he'll see where he's at because he's played well. But let's also remember the injury history that David Perron has gone through. And that is such a scary thing for these guys. Like I I specifically remember Paul Correa when he signed with the blues and he had that first concussion. And then it was like, man, this guy might never play again. And then he decided to call his career quits early. So not saying Perron is going to do that, but. He can play as long as he wants to play unless injuries take over for David Perron. But I think this one's gonna be a two year deal. I don't see him going anywhere other than St. Louis. Yeah, we all agree he's gonna be back, yeah. right?
3: Yeah, I'm like ninety five percent sure he's gonna be here.
1: Six
2: five seven Did eight oh air the Comfort Service Text
1: line for oh, questions and answers 96. from the five seven three. Who would you guys give your vote for to be the blues regular oh. season MVP and who was their
2: playoff MVP? Well, playoff the, MVP is pretty simple. Jordan Bennington
1: I was about to say It's got to be Bennington If not him If you want to go skater wise I would probably go Ryan oh, O'Reilly Yeah Either him or the, David Perron Yeah I was going to
2: say Him or David Perron It goes with the three though Yeah Regular season In all reality I think you gotta say Ville Huso Vladimir Tarasenko And Robert Thomas Those would be the three That I would come up with I think you could go Booch think you could go Booch for sure. I mean, you could go Kyro. I mean, you could go. There's there's nine twenty five goal scores that you can talk about here. And on the defensive side, I mean, look at how Colton Pareko played compared to what he was a year ago. Justin Falk was a number one defenseman for this Blues team. So I, there's a lot of MVPs. But I think if I were to have to give it to somebody, has to be Ville Husso because if Ville doesn't play the way that he plays you're probably not making the playoffs. I feel like
1: it's almost two separate categories because goalies are so important and, and it just changes so much yeah. about the way your season goes because I I think you're right. I think he would be the answer to this. But if you're going non-goalie edition, I think I would go Pavel Buchnevich. 30 goals was able to consistently be on the line that produced for you, whether it was with eventually the Thomas Tarasenko Buchnevich line or before that you had it with Barbie in Tarasenko with Buchnevich being the creator there I think I would go Buchnevich in terms of the, the skater that I would give my regular season MVP
2: to honestly I think I might give it to Falk I mean, Justin Falk was unreal this season, guys. And he played with everybody. Yeah, and I mean, he played over 25 minutes average per night. Like, he was top 10 in the league, and that is plus minus. The goals, he was double digits in goals. Like, you legit had a a top dog on your team with Justin Falk.
3: See, I think I would go Robert Thomas because, I, I mean, he was second in, in the team in points with 77, and I just felt like most of the year we kept saying, okay, if you need to get a guy going, where are you going to put him? You're going to put him right next to Robert Thomas. And and to me, that makes him kind of the most valuable player on a team. So I, I would probably lean towards Robert Thomas.
1: Uh, last one here, 65780 is the air cover service X line from the 573. Guys, do you think Ivan Provorov is a legitimate option for the Blues this offseason if they decide to go big game hunting? for the blue line Provorov for those that aren't familiar with his work he's a 25 year old defenseman former top 10 pick with the Flyers he's been quite good with them at times in the past he's kind of a Colton Pareko in terms of he's he's this big body that they would like to see be more physical and he's always been really solid and not necessarily like the number one defenseman that he was Expected to be, I would be down with that. I think he's a really solid player. I think he helps you in the same ways that uh, we've seen them look for with a Letty or a Chickrin. It's kind of in that lane. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd be down. Uh,
2: I, I like his name. Uh, another one from Philly that I think you could probably call around and ask about. Justin his... Braun. No, no, God, no. Please, no. God, no, please, no. Uh, Travis Sandheim. He's 26 years old. Now, he's only got one more deal or one more on his contract. This upcoming season, then he's an unrestricted free agent. But he's a left shot guy. He's six foot three, 181 pounds, and he provides some offense. So if you're calling Philly, I think either Provorov or Sandheim could be two guys that you'd call and talk about. Provorov was the one that was in the rumor mill yep. before the trade deadline this past or this past trade deadline. There's
1: going to be a lot of names that get thrown out there, and we'll certainly do our fair share of that all off season long. We'll put a three or three or five together. Roughly six weeks away. From the start of free agency and what is it, four weeks away from the NHL draft, something like
2: that? Yeah, the draft is I believe sorry, I June twenty-third. yeah, about uh, three three weeks no, away. July seventh. Okay. So uh five weeks away. <laughs> Way to go, <laughs> from Alex. The NHL draft. Way, Way to, to go. Alex. We got a lot of time between three, now and five.
1: some of the big time decisions being made. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie coming up in about fifteen minutes or so. We've talked a lot about if the blues decide to go for those big names this offseason. Is it going to be an all-or-nothing type of an offseason, though? We'll explain what that could mean coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, I think this is the month the Cardinals take over the NL Central. explain why next year on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPN. We'll get to a potential all or nothing off season for the Blues in about 10 minutes or so. But Alex, I think this is the month that will be the opposite, in fact, of what happened this time last year when the Cardinals went through a historically bad month of June. I think this is the month where they overtake the Brewers in the division. And Earlier today, I was reading over on MLB.com and our friend Anthony Kastrovitz put down some of his big predictions for the month of June. And he said... Said that he tends to agree. He thinks that the Cardinals are going to end this month over the Brewers, and a big part of why is because of the way that the schedule lines up. The Brewers have had one of the easiest schedules in the in the MLB so far this year. They are 28th in strength of schedule. The only teams that have faced an easier schedule thus far are the Rockies and the Twins. Why is that? You might ask. Well, because so far this year they've already played 21 games against the Cubs, the Reds, and the Pirates. They are 15 and six in those 21 games. Meanwhile, the Cardinals have played 10 games against the Reds and the Pirates. They have yet to see the Cubs this year. The Cardinals are eight and two so far this season against the Reds and the Pirates. So they've done pretty well in those games. The Cardinals have faced the fourth toughest schedule thus far in terms of the strength of schedule in major league baseball, Alex, this is moving time. This is the time where you need to kind of get up into the top of the division Here's what comes up for the Brewers. While you are going up against so many of these division foes that are not good, Brewers are about to face the Padres for four games, the Phillies for three games. I know they're a beer league softball team, and they've had their struggles this year, but that is tougher Whoa. than going up against Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, or Chicago. I'm on a beer league softball team, and they, we do not look like that. At Washington, at New <laughs> York, then they play St. Louis. They've got three against Toronto, two against Tampa. This is a really tough month for the Brewers and they are going through some injuries in their rotation right now, this is when the Cardinals have to take advantage of the way that the car, the schedule sets up. And I think they will.
2: Uh, I hope they will. Um, every time I feel like we go into series and last year and this year are very different. I mean, look, they just beat, then they sweep the pirates when they played against them. Like uh, this isn't where you split a series like that, but I do remember last season going into a series against Detroit and thinking, we got to win this. And you split that. You played the Pirates. You lost that series. The one that concerns me is the Cubs because the Cubs always play the Cardinals really well. But there's still a little hesitancy of looking at it and being like, oh, man, man, you can't afford to split these series with this team. Like, you need series wins. But it's set up for them. And the fact that they've gone through the injury side of things, what the Brewers are going through right now is what the Cardinals are. Are coming out on the back end of, with yep. Tyler O'Neill coming at back, and what seems like Dylan Carlson's progressing, Stephen Matz, Jack Flaherty. Like you're moving inches towards getting these guys back into your rotation and your lineup. That gives me the optimistic feeling more so than what last year was where it felt like everything was going wrong for them in the month of June. This is the opportunity, though, you can't let this go by. You're already seven games above 500. You should be looking at around what Milwaukee is 10 to 12 games above 500 after this stretch, right?
3: And I've always agreed with you, BK. Look, I've never thought that the Brewers' offense is something that is special, that can win the Brewers' games. It comes down to their pitching. And, if I th- and I said this from the very beginning. If their three guys could stay healthy, then they have a chance to win the division again. Two of those three are on the 15-day I.L. now. So their pitching is breaking, and it's breaking at the wrong time. I'm not saying they're going to have a... June, in which the Cardinals had last year, because honestly, that would be hard to do. But they're going to have a difficult time with the schedule potentially. And the fact that your schedule is lightening up, you have to take advantage of it. And I get it that last year was a different circumstance because, you know, the Reds were good for a pretty good chunk of the last season. The Cubs in the first half had all their stars, and then they traded them off in the second half, and the Pirates, well, they were still that minor league baseball team. But Last year, the Brewers won the division by five games, and if you look at these three teams that we're talking about, the Pirates, the Reds, and the Cubs, if you look at how the Brewers and the Cardinals stacked up against them, the uh, Brewers were seven games better than what the Cardinals were against these three teams. So that right there was the difference maker, and we've always talked about that. Basically, how you do against your NL Central foes, not name the Brewers, because I think you're 4-4 four and four against Milwaukee, if I'm not mistaken, so far this year. That's going to determine how you're, who's going to win this division, and I, I truly believe that whoever takes care of business against the Pirates, the Reds, and the Cubs is going to win the NL Central. And the Cardinals have their opportunity to make sure they take care of business this month.
1: So far, right, or right now, the uh, the Brewers have Willie Adamas, Hunter Renfro, Freddie Peralta, and Brandon Woodruff all on the injured wow. list. Uh, Woodruff just went on a couple of days ago, so he's out for the next couple Peralta's of weeks. Out for a while, Peralta, yeah, it, it doesn't sound like that's going to be anything in the near is future. Close. Adamas should be getting closer to re- his return and Hunter Renfro went on the IL last week as well. He's been one of their most productive hitters so far on the season, just a bad time for the Brewers. This is one of those situations. Uh, every team goes through it. The Cardinals had some of these earlier on. They're dealing with it right now with Dylan Carlson and the hamstring, Tyler O'Neill in the shoulder. Uh, it sounds like he's going to probably go out on a rehab assignment starting up this weekend. Uh, they're starting to get back from what the Brewers are just beginning And the Cardinals schedule is also opening up as the Brewers schedule starts to get more difficult. So I think this is when they make their move. I also think right now, guys, we've seen a lot of the top contenders around the National League at this point. I think there are two that are definitively better than the Cardinals today. The Mets and the Dodgers, in my mind, are just they're the class of the National League. I think those are the two clear-cut best teams in the NL, and then everybody else is chasing them. As of today, based on what we've seen from the teams that the Cardinals have gone head-to-head against, you could have the Brewers three, you could have the Cardinals three. I think it's one of those two, though. And for me, I still believe that the Cardinals are a slightly better team and will be a better team than the Brewers by the end of the season. And so I would take the Cardinals right now as the third best team in the National League. And I know that might sound funny to some people that are listening to this right now because they watch them on a night-to-night basis and it doesn't feel like that should be the case. But guys, you look at the run differential. The Cardinals are third in the NL right now. You look at their overall record. The only teams that have a better record right now than the Cardinals are the Brewers and the Padres, other than the Dodgers and the Mets, and I we just watched the Cardinals versus the Padres. I don't think those teams are all that dissimilar. And I think the Cardinals have a significantly better offense right now. So I'll take the Cardinals at three in the NL as of today.
2: Yeah. I was thinking of that last night after the game, looking at it and thinking last season, we were sitting here talking about the two, the tears and it was the Dodgers, the Padres and you know, the Giants and the Braves and you're putting all of the Brewers Cardinals were way down there. And to think that after that, win you last night, you're winning the series against San Diego with a potential sweep today, and, I mean, you've not just surpassed one team. You've sur- surpassed multiple teams in a matter of an offseason. And how long did we spend in the offseason talking about, oh, they missed their opportunity to do this, this, and this? Yeah, I would have loved to see them go after a Kyle Schwarber, although he's struggling so far. And I would have loved to see them sign another big-time pitcher for their team. but Or one of the shortstops, except all of them are struggling as well. But to, say, to sit here and say that the team that they've put on the field – has surpassed the Padres in those tiers and I think they're right there with the Mets Uh, me personally I don't think the Mets are that good I know they are right now but I think it's the honeymoon phase of all look at all the signings look how good they're playing that's going to drop off at some point so I think it's the Dodgers and then it's everybody else trying to chase and that's a big time move there by the Cardinals to sit in that conversation with those teams
3: yeah I think they are the third best team right now in the NL now I think it's close because I, I'm with you. I think the Padres are... It's tough to read the Padres because I get it offensively. They're not hitting right now, but they're going to be a different animal when Tatis comes back. Uh, and then you, like Atlanta, I still think Atlanta's going to really pick things up as things move along here this season. So, But right now, I'd have to agree. I, I do think that the Cardinals are the third best team. And I, I don't think they're that far behind the Mets, because I get at the Mets, you look at their record, they're 17 games above 500 but they're going to face a very difficult stretch here in June. Their schedule really uh, becomes a lot tougher this year, or this month, excuse me, and they end up uh, doing this without Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGromis dealing with injuries. I mean, they got 17 games against the Dodgers, Padres, Angels, Brewers, and the Astros. Oof. So, they've got a tough month in which they're missing their top two workhorses. So, we'll really get a good idea of how deep the Mets are this month, and then we can go have the conversations of the cardinals and mets as number two in the national league
2: coming up and we're about to see the cardinals future ace pitch this afternoon jack flurry's on the oh, no, ready no, for no. a
1: human rain delay if there's not a regular wow. rain delay coming Did up you in just about 15 minutes <laughs> or so we'll get into I'm some quick yeah. next? <laughs> it's an all or nothing offseason from the blues that doesn't mean they're going to make no additions it could mean a little bit of a letdown though in terms of the names that they acquire we'll explain that coming up next you're on 101 espn <laughs>
0: We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: So, you know, I could see an offseason where you try to
1: get a couple of those guys signed and, and maybe do something with the left side of that defense. And we'll see. But I wouldn't expect anything major. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Jeremy Rutherford on with us yesterday. The car take two. are the Blues going to have a big offseason? I guess that depends. I think there are a couple of guys that they're going to be looking to acquire. Alex, I think their list starts with Matthew Kachuk. Check in on him with the uh, Calgary Flames. F- try to figure out, OK, where are you guys at? Are you going to, are you going to do the RFA tender? Are you going to try to focus all of your attention on Goudreau and get that deal done first? And then we'll wait until later on in the off season. What's, what are your plans with Matthew Kachuk? And is he going to be a player that is available this off season via trade? If the answer is yes. Okay. We go down that path. That is priority number one, two, three, four, five, and so on. And then after that, I also think they're going to try to aim big on the blue line. Ivan Provorov, we mentioned him in the last segment. I think Chikrin is the guy that makes all the sense in the world for the Blues, and of course they were connected to him for basically the last calendar year now. If you're not able to acquire, though, those top-of-the-market types of players via trade, Alex, I think this is an offseason where you do more stopgap type of stuff where maybe it is a Nick Letty if he's willing to take a one- or a two-year deal at a reasonable price. You go out there and you find a veteran third-line winger that can come in and score 15 to 20 goals for you and play the style that you want him to play uh, this year. I think that's more the lane that they'll be shopping in, and then they wait and keep their their powder dry until next offseason when they once again go for some big-time players. I think this is a little bit of an all-or... Maybe nothing is the wrong word, but it's it's either top tier, top shelf liquor that they're going to be buying or they're going for
2: the bottom bargain bin type of deals. I, I like the all or nothing comment there because I it does feel like that to where th- they did their all, well, not their all, but they had their their big offseason last year because I remember going into that offseason and there were a ton of question marks where was the secondary scoring can you trust Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford what are you going to be getting from these younger players in Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas and what did Doug do he went out and he said we need more secondary scoring and they got Pavel Buchnevich and they got Brandon Todd that was their big offseason this offseason feels like it's boom or bust. Not so much in the bust sense where it's like, oh, that was an awful offseason. Yeah. But the boom is Matthew Kachuk, Jacob Chikrin, Ivan Provorov, whatever you might be. It's Matthew Kachuk. It's top defenseman. But if it's not going to be those guys, and this goes to the comment that Doug Armstrong made yesterday, and people panicked when uh, we they heard it, that Doug said there's not going to be any major tweaks to this roster Last year was the offseason of major tweaks, where you need help in your top nine. This offseason feels like if you can't get Matthew Kachuk, and if Jacob Chikrin's not an option, this offseason feels like you re-sign Nick you you sign a backup goaltender, you sign a couple of depth pieces to your forward position, and you add one more defenseman as a depth piece. This is like the retool from last season and go for another Stanley Cup this season off season. This feels like if they don't end up getting those top end guys,
1: it's a I'm going to say this name and people are going to have a visceral reaction because of the way that it went. But you sign your Mike Hoffman or it's a one year deal, four ish million dollars. And you're not getting that exact type of player. But that lane, that's what you're going to be shopping in of. Hey, let's go get a guy that we think can help us this year. Probably going to be a guy that helps you on the four check. He comes in, plays a little more of a physical style that will fit in with what Craig Burby wants to do. And let's see where that takes us this year. That's the kind of player that I would anticipate. And the other reason that is kind of the backdrop to all of this is Ryan O'Reilly one year left at seven and a half million dollars uh, this year. Vladimir Tarasenko last year on his deal, seven and a half million dollars. Both Cairo and Thomas will be restricted free agents after this upcoming season, and they're going to be in for some significant paydays as well. The Blues cap sheet looks very different after the 2022 season than it does right now. So if you decide, okay, we're going to go this route, we're going to kind of have one last hurrah with this group of players and then we'll see where it takes us at the end of next year. That, that's where I think that is is the realistic outcome. But it's also like, I, I think that's one lane, the choose-your-own-adventure, right? That's one path that they could go down. The other path is... Vladdy gets traded. Kairu gets traded. Uh, Perunovic is traded. Maybe one of neighbors or Bullduke is traded. And you get rid of the Scandela deal. And now it's like, whoa, okay, the Blues suddenly have a 25-year-old stud blue uh, left-handed defenseman to play with Colton Pareko. Whoa, now Matthew Kachuk is here. And our next group is all kind of on the same timeline now suddenly with Buchnevich and Thomas and Kachuk being those guys that are eventually going to be that top line for you. I think it's one of those two paths this off season for Doug Armstrong.
2: I think so too. And the the way that I look at this is And we said this yesterday, and I don't want to beat a dead horse with this, but Jordan Biddington, Torrey Krug in the lineup, I think we're still talking about a Blues playoff run, and I think that means you're not looking at this offseason of, man, we got to make all of these moves. Last year, you were getting swept by Colorado, like it or not. Perron, Falk in the lineup, they probably would have made it a competition, but you're probably getting beat in that series. So you need some changes because Sammy Blay wasn't scoring and Zach Sanford wasn't scoring. You've got your top nine set. Matthew Kachuk is a luxury for the Blues if they can get them. If not, you maybe you wait and see if it happens the next year. You want a left-handed defenseman to play with Colton Pareko. I truly believe that. But if it's not Jacob Chikrin, Nick Letty is a really good asset to have with you look at the success that he had, not just with the Blues, but with the New York Islanders when he played for them also. So I, I don't even know if it's a Mike Hoffman signing. I think it's really just a a matter of if if they're not able to go big big sea fishing with these guys, I think they're going to look at it and say, you know what? we add a fourth-line player here, we add a veteran player here, maybe a depth piece here. This team's good to go on another run. Health needs to be on our side more than anything. And think about the fact that you're adding the Jake Neighbors and the Zachary Bullduke possibilities. You've got to have a full season of Scott Perunovich. And the one thing that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about is you had your first season with some new guys in Craig Bruby's system. What do you think a second year is going to do in a Craig Bruby system? Look at the one-year switch from Jordan Kyrou's first year in Craig Berube system I'm to the so second year. for year two, Pavel Buchnevich. I really and am. And Brandon Saad. Yeah. I mean, Brandon Saad, Chicago Blackhawks era and Columbus Blue Jackets era was a very good player. Now, Brandon Saad benefited off of playing with the Colorado Avalanche and Nathan McKinnon. But you put him in a second-year stint where he knows the system. Defensively, you're going to get that as well. This team doesn't need a retool. They just need they just need some assets and some depth to, to go through a longevity of an 82 game schedule.
1: Six, five, seven, eight O is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. We'll get into some NFL quick hitters coming up here in just a little bit from the six, three, six guys, Doug Armstrong is not going to pay one player, 10 plus million dollars. Maybe not. He might be willing to pay a guy like Matthew Kachuk nine though. If you've got a superstar in his prime who does everything and Matthew Kachuk does everything. Everything. He can score 40 goals. He can get 50 plus assists in a season. He's going to have. Uh, he just
2: had 104 points, people.
1: <laughs> you're paying that guy $9 million, $10 million if you have the chance to. Imagine Braden Shin, but six years younger and with double the goals and double the assists. It's essentially what you're looking at from a guy like Matthew Kachuk right now. What would you be willing to pay for that? A whole hell of a lot of money is the answer to that. So that's part of this. Secondarily, I did hear, I think this was yesterday, on with Carricker and Smallman. Randy said something that I kind of squinted. I was like, I I don't know if I agree with that. Here's what he said about the possibility of acquiring Matthew Kachuk and what it would mean for some of the other decisions that the Blues would have to make.
2: So he's going to make $9 million next year. I don't think that there's a way to keep both David Perron and have Matthew Kachuk on your team? Even if you trade Tarasenko. And by the way, you'll have to give up assets. You'll have to give up Mm -hmm. Jordan Kairou, Picks, and probably somebody else to get a, a guy like Matthew Kachuk. Are you better off just going through next year and getting him as an unrestricted free agent after next year? If I were Doug Armstrong and Tom Stillman, that would be my approach because I really want to keep David Perron on this team. I don't
1: think that acquiring literally anybody this offseason has anything to do with David Perron's future no. here in St. Louis. You can make that work. And here's how you do it, Alex. Marco Scandella is $3.25 million right now in terms of his salary for 2023 uh, uh, next season. Mm-hmm. That's basically one for one with what we're expecting David Perron to get. If you attach Scandella with a draft pick potentially to have somebody else take that on for you, boom, there you go. That's how you make it work money wise. And that's just one for one. If you want to go somewhere else, you could trade Kairu, Barbie, Tarasenko. Those three guys would save you about $13 million. Boom, there's your money for Kachuk and David Perron. I do not think that the two are tied in any way, shape, or form. Perron is a totally separate conversation. And then on the idea of you can just wait, you can always wait to be able to go out there and acquire Matthew Kachuk. I'm not sure how true that is, because you look at some of the teams that would love to acquire a player like that. It is the entire league. Everybody wants Matthew Kachuk. And I understand you've got the hometown thing, and he would probably love to come back. We know he would love to come back here and play for the St. Louis Blues. But money talks. And if the Detroit Red Wings went out there and said, hey, we'll give you a ten and a half million dollars on an annual basis over a six year deal. It's like, well, over there, I can get nine million dollars to play back in my hometown. But here I'm getting an extra million and a half per year. Well, that kind of speaks loudly. And Detroit seems like a team that's kind of on the up and up. Maybe that's where I want to go instead. Maybe it ends up being Vegas. They decide to go on an overhaul of their roster. They ship some guys out and want to bring in a Matthew Kachuk. Vegas seems like a fun place to play. There are other places that become possibilities. This happens in other sports as well. I remember when it was Paul Paul George became a free agent. Everybody, everybody assumed he was going to the Lakers. He was a Lakers fan. He's from L.A. He's going there, no doubt about it. Guess where you want? The Clippers. Because sometimes weird stuff happens, and guys make decisions for reasons that we might not even necessarily understand. So if you want Matthew Kachuk and he's available this offseason, go get it done.
2: Yeah, uh, there's. don't wait for Matthew Kachuk. I mean, that's that's not the way to play this because here's the, here's the deal. Let's say you sit there and say, you know what? We're not going to trade assets to get Matthew Kachuk as an RFA. We'll wait till he becomes a UFA. Calgary signs Johnny Goudreau this offseason, and they trade Matthew Kachuk. The Blues don't want to trade assets. He gets traded to, I don't know, let's say the Seattle Kraken, and the Kraken put a, a C on his jersey. He loves it there, and they give him a big contract. He's not going to St. Louis because he wants to go to St. Louis. He's going to stay where he gets traded to. Like, I think if you want Matthew Kachuk, you've got to be aggressive with that. And I know this is a pipe dream, and we're talking about this now. We don't even know what's going to happen in this circumstance. The matter of the fact is, if he's available, you can always make it work. It's not intertwined with anybody else on this roster it's just a matter of how aggressive you want to get with that deal and if they're willing to talk and move him it's intertwined with johnny goudreau if johnny goudreau walks calgary's going to throw everything at matthew kachuk because they can't lose two superstars but if they lock him up to a 10-year 11 million dollar contract kachuk's not going to be there might stay one more year but that's it so if you're doug armstrong you're going to be aggressive with this and to 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 second guess that he can't make it work and David Perron's on the outside looking in, I just, I don't think that's true. I think he's going to be a part of this team no matter what. And then it's a matter of how aggressive you want to get to get Matthew Kachuk.
3: And to the point on a Matthew Kachuk and waiting till free agency, I mean, Look, he says he wants to play and say, listen, I don't doubt that at all, but that doesn't mean it's not till the end of his career. I mean, it could be as simple as... He I can mean, wait
2: till Brady becomes a free agent and they yeah, both go.
3: And, and, and honestly, I mean, this is the time that first contract is usually that one where players say, you know what, I'm going to go for the money, and then this, once you get that first big contract and you have that settled and put away... That's when you start to see players then go, OK, now it's where do I want to go? Where do I want to settle the family down at? Where do I want to go where I have a best chance to win a cup? So honestly, there's no guarantee that that first time that when he hits free agency, that St. Louis is going to be the most appealing place for him. It, it may not be until later on in his career that he would later decide that.
1: By the way, they have eight unrestricted free agents. Calgary does uh, three restricted free agents as of right now, like the vast They have 15 players or 12 players. Excuse me currently under contract for next season. So why are we talking about the Matthew Kachuk thing? I know that there are a number of people in the text line wondering that. It's because Calgary's about to go into a cap crunch mode. This was Calgary's
2: last hurrah I really felt like to to really go after a Stanley Cup before things start to change. They've just got a lot of guys that are making a lot of money and it becomes difficult. Eventually,
1: you have to make tough decisions. We've seen that here in St. Louis. Why did Alex Petrangelo become available? Because you got to make tough tough calls, and, and that's, that's one of them. Why is Vladimir Tarasenko potentially going to be available this offseason? Uh, because of what happened last offseason, and because if you have to make some money move around, he's the one that makes the most sense. He's got the big deal, and he's not the captain, so... He's the one that makes some sense. So that that's why this is even a conversation right now is because of that with Calgary's situation, and then of course his history of being here in St. Louis. That's a part of it, and so it, there's there's just a lot of speculation that's going to surround that. So if there's a possibility of him coming back home and playing for the Note, it makes all the sense in the world to be able to make that happen now as opposed to waiting until next offseason for the possibility of it happening alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 10 minutes. We'll dive into the junk drawer, but next some NFL quick hitters, including which team had the worst 2022 offseason? We'll tell you who next on one Oh one ESPN.
0: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs tire and auto centers on one Oh one ESPN. <laughs>
1: NFL quick hitters. Before we get into the juncture on the other side, with Alex and Tanner, IMBK, who had the worst off season this year in the NFL? That was a question that ESPN.com's
2: Bill Barnwell attacked. He had the bottom five as the following. Okay, let me hold. On, can, can we try and guess this? Sure. Seattle's got to be on there That is the worst <laughs> That was who I was going to say was <laughs> You get Drew luck as your quarterback And your linebacker goes to the Rams That's not a good offseason I know Houston That is 32 uh, No, Houston is no, not Houston
1: really? in the bottom five um, Green Bay They were at 25 So they were I mean, not a good offseason Green Bay Oh, Green nope. Bay That's really Wow no. uh, Arizona okay. uh, Green Bay, by
2: the way Top 10 offseason Get the, the hell out of here Nothing like uh, trading Ding, ding, ding,
1: ding, ding. That Cardinals. is number
2: three on this list. Third All right. worst. So we got Seattle. It's sad that two of those are in the NFC West. Is San
3: Francisco there? <laughs> nope. Um but they haven't trade their quarterback.
1: Carolina. Carolina's got to be yeah, there. Yeah, Carolina's got to Carolina be on there. Carolina is not. What the hell? What the hell? hell?
2: Patriots. All right, Phil Barnwell doesn't Carolina is at
1: 18. New England is not in the bottom five.
2: Um, New England is in the bottom 10, here? though. Who else are we missing? Think it's not NFC. the Jets. It's not the Giants. Think NFC. Still Philly? No. Philly had a good offseason. They got, they got Saints. some. Saints.
1: Ding, ding, ding. They, they are number four. Stick in that division. Um, Atlanta. Atlanta Falcons. They are at Washington? number two. So your bottom five teams in terms of the offseason. The worst, Seattle. Second worst, the Falcons. Third worst, the Cardinals. I think I can make an argument for them being the second worst. <laughs> uh, the fourth worst, the New Orleans Saints. And at number five, I disagree with this one. Washington. The Las Vegas Raiders. Oh, I actually think the Raiders have had a good offseason. Now, if you want to tell Devontae me, Adams? if you're telling me that they set themselves up to be bad in three years, Who I could cares? listen to it. Chandler Jones at that point will be an aging veteran. You're going to have him on a big money deal. Maybe Devonte Adams is going to start slowing down. He's not the same player without having uh, Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. I, I could listen to the argument, even if I disagree with it. They are in such a gauntlet of a division. I think you had to do stuff like this. You had to go big. You had to give yourself the opportunity to compete, especially while you're new to this market in Las Vegas. You got to have some stars. You got to have people that you can put up on those billboards. I know that shouldn't be the first thing that you think about when you're building a roster, but... I thought the Raiders had a pretty solid offseason. I would put them in at least the top half of the league. So that was the one that I had the biggest issue with. The ones that I totally agree with, though. The Cardinals, awful. Absolutely awful offseason for them. And I think the same is true for Seattle. Oh,
2: yeah, Seattle. Like, I knew they were the worst out of all of them by far. Like I said, you trade... Russell Wilson and you get Drew Locke and he's not even your starting. It's Gino Wilson now or um, Geno Smith. Who's Gino Wilson? I, I don't know. know. I Look that you combined Russell Wilson and Gino Smith. Yeah, Maybe I did. Um, and then you lose and I know Bobby Wagner was getting old but I mean you're not getting still a good player. I mean you lost some significant pieces on that team and still have DK Metcalf which is really impressive.
3: Yeah i got to go Seattle with the worst offseason because of what he said. I mean, when your coach comes out and goes, yeah, Drew Locke would be a one of the first quarterbacks taken this year's draft, and you look at where the quarterbacks went this year's draft, that's not reassuring. And honestly, I, I didn't think the package they got for Russell Wilson was that, that great either. Agreed. And then he mentioned Wagner. I honestly would put San Francisco in the top five. I, I don't think they've had a great off season. They haven't even been able to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. And then if you want to throw in another team in the, the bottom three to me, it's Carolina. I, who the hell's their quarterback? Sam Darnold? Yeah, that went well last year. That's you fair. got guys like Baker Mayfield and Jimmy Garoppolo that are still on the market, and Carolina hasn't been able to pull off a trade or anything like that to go get one of those guys. Yeah, I, I, they've got to be up there for one of the most disappointing offseasons.
1: Who would you guys have as the best offseason? Because on his list, his top three. got to have Philly. You had Philly at number two. Denver at number one. I think I agree with that. uh, It's hard to argue. And the Chargers were at number three. So Philly at two, Chargers at three, Denver at one. And to round out the top five, he had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, that's
2: well. Yeah, they traded away a wide receiver. Um, What did the Chargers do? What did the Chargers do?
1: This offseason, they added J.C. Jackson as their big time uh, cornerback addition they got Khalil Mack to help along their oh, defensive yeah, line. He's I forgot pretty about good. that. Uh, <laughs> and then they added a couple other defensive linemen to help stop the run for them as well. I thought they had a really good yeah. offseason. I, I still think. I wish they had another receiver that they could have added. But.
2: I think Philly's number one, and not for obvious reasons, one of them being Jordan Davis.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah.
2: Best offseason ever.
1: Speaking of bad offseasons, whoa. Cardinals certainly on that list, the Arizona Cardinals. I was going to say, watch it, man. Their yeah. OTAs resume today. great either quarterback kyler murray is back in the training facility right. yeah, according to adam last. Schefter, he is expected to be on the practice field for the first time throughout their off-season program and it sounds like according to jeremy fowler of ESPN.com, the cardinals are quote optimistic that a deal will get done with Kyler Murray this summer this is according to Jeremy Fowler a good step towards that deal getting completed. Did he put it on
3: the gram though? That's the yeah. more important is he, is he
2: back to following the Arizona Cardinals? That's what we all want to know. Do you believe that Kyler Murray will finish this contract with the Arizona Cardinals? No, absolutely not. You have one more underwhelming season with Arizona. He's going to get traded. And if there's a contract tied to it, I think it makes it a little bit easier for a team to trade for him rather than this.
3: What's he got left? Two years? Is that right? This year or next?
2: Yeah, because he would have the fifth year option
1: next yeah. year.
3: I think he's going to finish the, this but contract. But I'm talking about on Carlos. his new contract, yeah, no, which he'll, he'll probably get a new be five years. Oh, that one? No, that one I don't see him finishing. I, I could see him you know, being there three, four more years, and then if he continues to underperform because... I don't see the Rams going anywhere. San Francisco's always been competitive, and I don't, I don't know what they have in Trey Lance. Uh, but he could become one of those guys that's the... Arizona's one of those top teams in the NFC West in just a handful of years if the Rams take a step back. They're getting to the playoffs, and he's still underperforming. And then they have to start to look for a upgrade over him. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't finish this next contract with the Arizona Cardinals. I would be
1: shocked if he does at this point. I just think he's... It's different in terms of his personality and the way that he goes about it but he reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers where I'm just not sure that he's going to be a guy that's super happy with his surroundings regardless of what happens um, he's I, I, I would not tie myself this offseason to Kyler Murray if I was the Cardinals and if that means I lose him via trade I don't think that team is going to win anything meaningful this year either way I would give serious consideration to if I can get three plus three first round picks maybe a little bit more than that I would have to consider trading that guy away, especially if it's to a team that I think is going to be pretty bad this year. So that, that's where I'm at. I understand that that would be an unpopular decision for them, and they have other things to consider, like, you know, fans and stuff. But I, I don't think I would sign this contract this offseason with them. All right, final thing. Through some NFL quick hitters. Tanner, your team. Yeah. The L.A. Rams. They've got an Aaron Who's Donald house? situation to figure oh, out. Not Aaron's. Aaron Donald would love... To have a new contract In fact, doesn't sound like he's showing up until he gets one Thought
2: he was retiring He is essentially out
1: of guaranteed money On his current deal And he wants some more of it His current contract would pay him About 15 to 19 million dollars this year Tanner, what do you think he's going to end up getting paid? The top paid defensive player in the NFL right now Is TJ Watt Making an average of 28 million dollars per season are we going to see Aaron Donald become the first $30 million man? I think so. Cool. I, I don't see how on the defensive side of the ball, I should I, say. I,
3: I don't see how you don't give this man over $30 million because I mean, he's better than TJ Watt and he's not even on the uh, outside. He's on the inside. He's like a defensive tackle. Now he does move outside every now and then, but he's the most unblockable player in the NFL. I mean, I've seen triple teams. This guy's gone through. <laughs> There's five guys on the O line. I, yeah, I, I think he's going to get 30 to $32 million in his next contract. Because I don't see him just surpassing 28 and just touching 30. I see him going a little bit beyond 30. I could see about
1: $32 million as his next deal. He looks at that Tyreek Hill deal, four years, $120 million, and says, I want four years, $121 million. I, I would like it. to be the highest paid non-quarterback in the NFL. Price is right rules. And the Rams say deal <laughs> we, yeah, we'd be happy to have you back hey, it, can't wait to see you in trade and, and then they'll trade
2: seven of their next i know <laughs> your first round draft yeah. picks for I, it
1: i
3: know that's the mo that the rams get where it's oh first round pick you can have a first round pick you can have a first round pick <laughs> let's need hands out contract extensions like nobody i've seen before he he hands those out he gave them out to Gurley, jared goff uh robert Woods got a big contract extension yeah, how'd uh, that work out for him he's no longer with us r.i.p okay. Uh, Cooper Cup got a big has. Cup's not been locked up yet, but they had another oh, wide receiver. He's going to get they, a big deal. Yeah, gonna yeah. say, he's going to be the highest they paid locked wide up receiver. Another wide receiver. Oh, uh, the one that's in Houston now, Cooks. They gave Cooks a they big also contract. Just,
1: uh, signed, what's his face from Chicago? Um, Allen Robinson. Robinson.
3: Yeah. So they. Th- that Lesney's not afraid to hand out massive contract extensions because he knows tell. he can move on from. Him. He cut Gurley. He was able to somehow trade Jared Goff, which might be one of the best NFL trades we've yeah. ever seen. Uh, so I would not be stunned if they get this deal done. He'll he'll be reporting to camp and I bet they get him done.
1: Coming up in about 15 minutes. Do you view this as an underachieving season for the Blues? Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. I want to hear from Blues fans on this subject. Was this a successful year, or did they underachieve? We'll talk about that coming up at the top of the hour. Junk drawers coming up next here on one hundred and one ESPN.
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred and one ESPN.
1: I'm Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN Let's dive into the junk drawer, and Alex, from what I understand
2: You have a story you would like to share with the audience today. Yep, it's a uh, another grocery s- grocery store story uh, everyone's Grocery gonna- story Grocery story, that would have been easier for me to say So I, w- I had to go the other day, and of course, I had my headphones on As you all would expect And I, uh, well, I had an uh, unfortunate moment I dropped a, uh, a glass jar of minced garlic that's on the ground, very embarrassing. So I had to do the worst thing possible, and that's take the headphones off and go talk to somebody. Found an attendant and told him, like, "Hey, I made a mess over here." like, What's that? Yeah, it was really difficult.
1: Did you throw? the garlic on the ground no, like fell me, mr. out of
2: the cart so i had it at the top part and i put some vegetables in there and vegetables pushed the minced garlic and it dropped on the floor and then kerplot it splattered excuse everywhere me, mr grocery store me yeah i walked over to him I'm like hey i'm sorry i'm an idiot i dropped this he's so like are you oh, wearing oh, are these headphones? headphones no 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 i have my my uh, other headphones Oh, in. You have your AirPods yeah, in. because this See? doesn't this doesn't cover so my ears floppy. anymore yes. so somebody could still talk to me because the headphones broke so anyway After I had that happen to me, I I apologized and I started walking to get the rest of my grocery shopping done and I get to the checkout line and I look at my list and I didn't get sour cream sour cream is back by the guy with the minced oh. garlic cleaning up my mess sour cream's gross anyway so i basically said after i went home and i told Katie. i said well we just didn't get sour cream this time around they were out they I were I out did, I, no i didn't even tell her i said no i dropped the <laughs> minced garlic and i didn't you want to go st- back. blind it to her oh yeah i told oh, her i, I do not want to how, go back how and did you react <laughs> she was like are you kidding me <laughs> she's here. like why didn't you just go back and get it i said because the guy was cleaning up the mess that i just made i do not want to have a conversation with him you should have you
1: should just said they were out i love how much alex hates talking to people it is my favorite
2: thing about him (laughs) It's (laughs) it's not that i hate talking i just i already had to make the guy do extra work i felt bad because it was memorial day alex what what you already made him do the work. That's a sunk cost at this point in time. Yeah. You
1: going back there was not about yeah. you making him do more work. No, there I is no yeah, he other wasn't work it he for has you. to
2: do to get you sour cream. But I didn't want him to give me like another look of like, oh, you this want him guy, to give you, like, the this guy up. who made the mess and made me clean. It was a, it was Memorial Day, which I already felt that he was having to work. <laughs> and then it was an hour before close like because I was doing on a lot of yard work. And then so I was like, I'm not going to go back and get the sour cream. It's not Did worth you pay
1: that. for the garlic?
2: Yeah, yeah, I told the them. Broken the broken I dropped it, yeah, and they, I told them. So I think they put it on the. No chance I would have. Well, yeah, no, me my fault. You Your
3: jar broke.
2: <laughs> it's on you guys. Yeah. Your jar broke.
3: <laughs> I think <laughs> they made the jar. Well, I was the one
2: that actually broke the jar. <laughs> my, If my dumb if self would have right? put it in the actual If their floor. floor wasn't there, if it was more bouncy, I don't think that's possible. Okay. If, their, if their floor wasn't there, it would have just, like, Levitated or something.
1: Exactly. Should have had that at work. Tanner, what do you have for us today in the junk drawer, buddy? Mine's kind of a similar story. I
3: oh, dropped God. something you dropped it, wasn't, cart. it wasn't at the grocery store, what but. What'd you do, man? I went golfing Memorial Day weekend. Oh, you dropped and the golf ball? No, so what happened was after we were done golfing, I took my clothes, I put them in the back, and then I sat my wallet on top of my car, and then I went back to the golf cart to get some extra tees and some extra golf balls that I had there. I put them in the thing, I closed the trunk door talked to my friend. Here's where we're going to go to lunch. Hop in the car, take off, go down the highway a little bit. And about halfway to my destination to lunch, I go, "Uh uh-oh, I don't feel my wallet anywhere. So I had to slam on the brakes. I turn back around. I'm at the golf course. I'm circling the parking lot. I don't see the wallet. I go inside. I'm like, hey, have you guys seen a wall? Hoping that, you know, Good Samaritan's turned it in. Nothing I start driving slowly down Because there's a long like entrance So I slowly drive down the entrance Nothing I'm on the highway I see something in the middle Slam on the brakes Put on my uh, hazard lights Found my wallet In the middle of the highway? Middle of the highway Now it had been raining. over How is that over. even possible? Guys I'm a minus $40 I had about $100 in cash on me Damn oh, So
2: somebody stole it at the golf course no, no, They no, took no, the no, money no. And they it the the <laughs> no
3: no It had stayed on the car Until I got on the highway And then when I accelerated It fell off I think a truck ran over my wallet. I have the wallet with me. It, it is beat up now. And I lost money on it. I had to, When I picked up the wallet, I looked, there was no money inside of it. I saw some bills laying around on the side of the highway. And I went and picked up the bills. And Tanner I ended just up on I 70. Yeah. Like, just casually trying to
2: pick up money. A
1: $5 bill. Dude, I, it would have been a lost I, cost. I, I ended up missing out. I think I was Tanner $40 short. Yeah, I
2: was going to say your life was almost over for no, 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 a wallet. No, no, no. I
3: had the hazard lights on. You're not that what was fast, up. man. I, I ended up being $40 short because I was an idiot, left the wallet man, on top of the car, and it fell on the highway. That is all yeah. that
2: you lost. Dude, you could have lost like
1: your... Didn't you have a rental car this time? Oh, Yeah. Yeah. You were playing front.
3: You The rental car am on is not like the ones that we have here in St. Louis. Yeah, only it's Illinois only lame. has one yeah.
2: highway and there's only four cars on it it's like and a horse it's, and buggy. Yeah. All of this <laughs> his highway. <laughs> the, the horse and buggy takes some time before it runs yeah, you over honestly, so you got some time. To, honestly,
3: the damage to my wall probably came from a horse. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs>
2: I just don't understand how that.
3: I'm just who, happy who I because I had on the top stuff. of a car. Well, I had grabbed because Clearly, it it was, he was
1: trying to get his clubs into yeah, the car He had his wallet. It was I bugging it down. him.
2: Dude, you own cargo shorts. Your whole selling point. Well, that's about your those. shorts or all of the pockets you I have. I know, but I, I, I took it point. out of the
3: pockets and put it in the golf cart. The wallet. Took it out and then just sat it up there when I got everything else out. Of I the mean, golf if cart. you wear
2: cargo shorts like on your daily life, why wouldn't hey, you wear look, them when you golf? Hey, I, you put uh, balls in one, tees in the other. Your wallet, your keys. That's fair. I, Maybe a little bottle of liquor in one pocket. You I never totally know. I totally used hard all, balls, not squishy balls.
3: I totally balls. used all of the cargo uh, pockets when I went to a concert yesterday.
2: Of course you did. For what? You went to a concert well, I had in cargo wallet, shorts. Wallet,
3: phone. I had something else in one pocket, and then I had, oh my ticket was in one pocket and then I had uh, some tissues in the other because I got dealing with allergies oh okay I
1: had to cry. That's four things. I, I can put all four of those There's things in pockets two pockets. There. No, no, no. You've got to be roomy, man. <laughs> coming <laughs> up in fifteen flowing. minutes. <laughs> <laughs> six five seven eight zero is the Air free Comfort flowing, Service man. X line. Bet it or forget it. If you've got a scenario you want us to bet or forget, we will get into that coming up at one fifteen. But next, was this an underachieving season for the St. Louis Blues? At least one person thinks so. I want to hear from you. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort <laughs> Service X line. We'll hear from you. Give you our thoughts next on one hundred and one ESPN.
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Giving you the picture, the real big St. Louis sports picture. It's BK and Ferrario live from the Car Shield studio on 101 ESPN.
1: I'm Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So, how do you view the 2021-22 Blue season? I view it as a success. No, they weren't able to beat the Colorado Avalanche, and all of us would have wanted them to be able to do that to finish off the job. They didn't win a Stanley Cup. BK, it's not a success. It's only I one winner. If Jordan Bennington was healthy the entire series and Tori Krug was available to you against Colorado, I would view it differently. If it ended the exact same way, I would still view it as an okay season and I would not view it as a failure, but it wouldn't be the same kind of success that I currently have in my mind. The injuries at the end of the year completely altered the expectations that I had for the team at the end of the season. So for me, I would view this as a success, even though it didn't end in the ultimate prize of getting to the Stanley Cup final or even to the Western Conference final.
2: It absolutely is a success. I mean, if they would have lost to Minnesota, then I would have said that that's a disappointing season and they should have gotten out of the first round. I mean, you ran up against the best team. In the Western Conference, and you gave them a valiant effort. And again, I believe if Bennington's healthy, Tor Krug's there, you're winning that series. Even just Bennington, you're winning that series. I viewed that this season as a success for everything that they went through. They're not going to view it that way because the goal is the Stanley Cup, but this was progress, in my opinion, and I feel like that's success for St. Louis.
3: Yeah, I felt like this season was a success. And now, if Bennington was healthy, and I'm going. Bennington alone, I understand the Krug injury and the impact it had, but I think the Bennington one was just such Definitely. a massive one. because I think they could have won the series without Krug if Bennington were playing. If they would have lost this series with Bennington in between the pipes and he was healthy and they lost in six games, then I would probably say this season was not a success because I, I think the goal was ultimately to get to the Western Conference Finals and take down the Colorado Avalanche, who were kind of viewed as the top tier team. I mean, we've heard Army talking about them for the last two seasons now. But the fact of the matter that you weren't healthy and you still gave them a pretty good run for their money without Jordan Bennington, I, I have to call this season a success because I can't, I just can't say it, it wasn't a success because you got to the second round. You took down Minnesota, who I thought you definitely should have, as kind of Alex said there. And, You just didn't have your starting goaltender in Jordan Bennington. And look, you could say, well, it wasn't a success. Philly Huso, that shows the depth of the team. Yeah, but you you never really rely on a backup goaltender to win you a series in the Stanley Cup playoffs. You're hoping that your starter is going to be healthy and can take you on a run. And he just wasn't healthy. In fact, I just leave with more of a what-if question than I can say that it wasn't a success. So to me, the season was a success for the St. Louis Blues. I
1: only ask the question. Because honestly, this wasn't something that I was preparing to ask. I assume we're all kind of on that same page. I'm
2: I'm kind of offended you asking me that question.
1: I get it. Ryan O'Reilly said something yesterday that... Kind of took me aback. And I know uh, nobody is more critical of himself and of the team than Ryan O'Reilly is. You hear that after games. You hear that in uh, the regular season and then certainly after the season comes to an end. But here's what Ryan O'Reilly said yesterday in his end-of-season press conference. You know, we did underachieve this year. It's one of the best teams i played on, and I think it's it's disappointing. Um You know, yeah, we underachieved.
2: I get that he said that, though. I mean, you had 925 goal scores. Uh, you had... you had one of the best offenses in blues history. Same with the power play penalty kill was really good and you overcame a lot of adversity. But the reason I don't look at it that way is because if if the blues were in a situation like Colorado, where they had a lot of pending free agents that you don't know if you're bringing back the same team, then you look at that and you're like, you guys needed to win with this team. Like Colorado, if they don't win, I consider them a, La- a underachieving season because yeah. they're built to go on a run they're gonna have the same team back next year maybe better and worst case scenario you're gonna have the exact same team as you had this season so that's why I don't look at it as underachieving for the blues yeah I just
1: I, I just totally disagree like I, I don't think they underachieved this year I think they ran into the best team that remains in the playoffs and they lost and they did so in six games and it took an unreal goal at the very end of game number six to be able to beat the blues. Like the so many nationally, I mean, we said this coming into the series, didn't even expect the blues to have a chance. Not only did the blues have a chance, but if Jordan Bennington doesn't get hurt on that play, I genuinely believe that at a minimum, the series goes to seven games. And I think that at best, the blues win that series in seven games. So I, I don't view that as an underachieving season whatsoever, and I also watch what we saw last night in Oilers versus Avs, and I say to myself, man, that makes me feel even better about the Blues and what they were able to accomplish. I understand that the Oilers have a, a crappy goaltender who is all over the place. Like I don't even know what to say at this point about Mike Smith. It is, It is <laughs> wild to watch him play the game of hockey but they have basically no defense to speak of. Even Wayne Gretzky during the game last night in intermission said, guys, I was the most offensive player maybe in the history of the NHL. You got to play some defense. He was begging them to just play some defense. The Blues biggest issue all year long was their defense. That team that scored eight goals last night, the Avs, Kale McCarr looked like the best player on the ice for the vast majority of that game. The Blues did a pretty good job of slowing them down for the vast majority of that series. There was that one five minute stretch where the game completely got away from them. But other than that, yeah, there were moments where the where Colorado had a bunch of shots on net and stuff, but it didn't feel like they were like a ton of high danger chances all the time. I think it makes me feel better about the blues. What I saw last night against the Oilers. Do you feel that way, Alex? And is there anything in this series that would change your overall impression of what the blues were able to do against Colorado?
2: I don't think anything's going to change for me because I mean, I said it yesterday. I'm dying on the Hill that the blues win that series. If Jordan Bennington is available to them. But one thing that was very noticeable is, I mean, let's be real here. The blues eliminated the offense for the Minnesota wild in that series And they eliminated the offense for the most part in that Colorado Avalanche series. I mean, Miko Rantanen had an empty net goal. Gabriel Landeskog scored a power play goal. McKinnon had the hat trick, but that was about it. It was really Nazem Kadri and the depth that was beating the Blues over than those big players. And Edmonton, and we all know Edmonton is not a defensive minded team. They're basically going to outscore you. That's how they're going to win. Hell, they have Mike Smith in goal for them. Nothing's going to change my opinion on the season for the Blues, regardless of what takes place. If Colorado wins that series, it goes on to the Stanley Cup final. I'm going to view it as the Blues. The Blues played essentially the same level of competition as Colorado and they barely they missed out because of some unfortunate events that took place in the season so nothing's going to change my mind in this series though because I truly believe that with Bennington Blues are beating Colorado they're beating Edmonton and then it's a crapshoot once you get into the Stanley Cup final
3: yeah nothing would change my mind either because I'm with you guys I I think if Bennington's healthy at, at best this is that series goes seven games uh, and they could potentially win that game seven and be taking on Edmonton right now in the Western Conference Finals. Now I, I look at that, and I look at—I I think it doesn't change my mind on any like individual lines or anything like that for the Blues in terms of looking at what Colorado, like McCarr and McKinnon, did last night. It just kind of re—re—what's uh, the word I'm Affirms. looking for, Reaffirms. Thank you. Uh, that how good that top line of O'Reilly, Perron, and Soder were yeah. of shutting them down. I mean, you saw them just skating around and having—especially Yeah. It reaffirmed that for me last night was just how good that Ryan O'Reilly line was when it comes to defensively matching up and shutting guys down. I mean, we saw it with the Caprice line in the Minnesota Wild series. You saw it in Colorado, and then they get free of O'Reilly, and what do they do? They go on, they play really well against the Edmonton Oilers, and then like their secondary scoring was there last night as well, and they played well against Edmonton. But I, I mean, I kind of expected that with the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah. I thought same when the Blues series. I thought I thought the Blues secondary lines weren't as good defensively as the O'Reilly line, of course, but I thought they'd be able to outplay the Avalanche's secondary, uh, their second and third lines, and it just wasn't the case. Their second and third lines were better in the series. I mean, it doesn't really change my opinion on anything there. If anything, it just reaffirms the first line for the St. Louis Blues. It just showed their eliteness defensively.
2: The other reason that this is is no way, shape, or form, in my opinion, is an underachieving season, look at the amount of first-round, top-ten draft picks on both of these teams. And the Blues did this without that. Yeah, but I'm not willing
1: to go there just because, like, it's the Blues' job to be able to catch them,
2: right? Well, well, I get that, but the way I'm looking at it is, like, they're supposed—it's the way Doug Armstrong framed it. They're supposed to be doing what they're doing. And the fact that the Blues nearly forced a Game 7, would have forced a Game 7, and probably won that series, in my opinion, that reaffirms how successful of a season this truly was because other teams, they couldn't do that. Look at the amount of first-round top-ten picks that Calgary has, and they couldn't find a way to get past Edmonton. And the Blues found ways to thrive, and with the roster in place, I truly think that they would have had success. I,
3: I think it's too cruel to say that it was an underachieving season, but I, I think it would be. I think it's fair to say you had an underachieving second and third line in that series against the Colorado. were yeah, underachieving honestly, aspects of the series. Uh, honestly, in the in the playoffs as a whole, really, the second and third lines didn't do a whole lot for you in that Wild series. I mean, Vladdy woke up for a game. He had Kyrie who was there in spits and spurts, but. Otherwise, as a whole in the playoffs, I thought the second and third lines, and even I mean, you didn't really have a fourth line. Let's be honest. So I, I can understand By saying, design. yeah, yeah, true. But that, that that's the underachieving assessment I think you, is fair to have. I think if you said totally. it's, it's fair to say that we had some lines that just underachieved in the playoffs, that's fair. But I think it's unfair to say the season as a whole was underachieved. In four
1: games against the uh, Nashville Predators, the. Colorado Avalanche scored 21 goals. That's an average of 5.2 goals per game. In six games against the Blues, they scored 22 goals. That's a 3.6 goals per game. Take
2: out how many empty dinners they had, though.
1: Sure. Uh, But then uh, in one game last night against Edmonton, they're already at eight. So... Eight goals in one game against Edmonton. 21 goals in four games against Nashville. Blues held them to 22 goals in six games. Uh, And like you said, I think it was two empty netters that they had as well. And and
2: someone pointed this out to me too last night. If you think about it, and let's say Colorado goes on to get to the Stanley Cup final, look at the difference of what Colorado had to go through and what the team in the Eastern Conference had to go through in terms of the goaltending. Like, the Rangers are going to have to go through... Now, Louis Domingue, of course, is an anomaly. But what was supposed to be Tristan Jari and Casey DeSmith. And then on top of that, Antti Ranta with who they just had to go up against with Carolina. And then Andre Vasilevsky or Igor Shesterkin. Colorado had to go through the backup and third string goalie for Nashville, the backup with St. Louis. And now you're going against two goaltenders that can't stop the puck. There's a difference there.
1: I also think this is the exact case as to why I think the NHL should go back to the one through eight seating.
2: Absolutely.
1: I, the The Western Conference final was the Blues versus the Fs. And it just happened to
2: take place in the second round of the playoffs. Also, why wild should not be involved in the NHL playoffs. Coming
1: up in about 15 minutes, we'll talk to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. We'll get his assessment on what happened at the end of that series, how he assesses the Blues series o- or season overall. And I want to get his early thoughts on what he's expecting out of the Blues this offseason. We'll do it all with the voice of the Blues. Chris Kerber coming up at 1.30. Better to forget it is next year on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're back to BK and Ferrario, brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up, and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN.
1: Alongside Alex mm. Ferrario and Tanner and I'm Brandon Kiley. There's some animosity taking place behind the scenes yeah, right now. There's ladies a lot and gentlemen. of
2: hatred in, this, in the studio today, I and wait. I, we, I, I don't face? like it anymore. whole lot of testosterone between the three of us. T-Bone, fix the, fix the hatred, man. We need love.
1: Play game of better to forget it. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax oh, line yeah. to get involved in the show. Because that doesn't lead to more animosity. <laughs> Guys, better <laughs> to forget it. Dakota Hudson is going to be the number two starter for the Cardinals by the end of this season. What an impressive game he has thrown so far.
2: How many runs to he give up? I'm serious. No, Giving up not. one earned run. You're being sarcastic. He's
1: walked one. He has a 50% strike rate once again, which I d- wow. You can't keep getting away with like this. <laughs> yeah, you can. He has zero strikeouts, but somehow he is through four innings and he has given up a total of three base runners. This is against this
2: offense. This is more of a Houdini act. No, stop it with the John no. Gant did last. Stop year. it with the Houdini act because you knew John Gant was going to fall apart. This is who Dakota Hudson is, Tanner. He fun. has thrown 33 strikes on
1: 65 pitches. Yee. 33. <sighs> I'm done with you too. And yet, it like I'm not even gonna try to explain it anymore. I am at the same place now that I was with John Gant last year. At one point, like, okay, let's see how long it lasts. I, I I'm just gonna ride this as long as it can. Better to forget it, Alex. Dakota Hudson has seen. You know what? Top two seems a yeah, little Yeah, I was going to say third, I would Dakota put him Dakota Hudson out. is a number three starter for the Cardinals by the end of the
2: year. I'd agree with that. I'd say I'm betting this one. And I think by next year, he's a number two starter. So, like a bone but I'll bet that one.
3: I'm not liking it. I'm going to forget that. You hate I, good pitching. Look, he'll be in the rotation probably the entire year, especially if he continues to do this magic trick. Um, but He's not going to be in your top three because you're, when healthy, you're going to have Mats will be there, or when Flaherty's healthy, Flaherty will bump back Wayno and Michaelis to become your one, two, three. So. No, I'll forget this. I don't see Dakota Hudson in any way, shape, or form being in your top three. Honestly, top four could be a stretch when everybody's healthy. He's he's a number five starter, so I'm going to forget this.
1: Yeah, I'm going to forget this as well. I would say that it is more likely that he is out of the start, out of the rotation than he is the number three starter in the rotation. Guys, better to forget it, if you had a situation like Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson in your show, the smacker would be Tanner and the recipient would be BK. True. I'm forgetting this one. No, man. it would definitely be Alex slapping Tanner. Yeah.
2: yeah there's almost a say. 100% chance that would be yeah. the exact way Pe- that, that People goes. don't know this, but the animosity between me and T-Bone <laughs> is at an all-time high. Like we I we walk out of this studio and and there's 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 some hatred that goes between us, too. Weird. I didn't get that vibe. You didn't so. get that vibe? <laughs> huh. Really? It's kind of awkward now. Okay. Well, this is really uncomfortable. Uh, so, yeah, I bet yeah. this. No, for, I'm, I'm forgetting this one. Sorry, T-bone. I forget this. I now sense that Alex would want to slap me. T- T-bone's, not the, uh, T-Bone's not the slapper. I'd be the slapper. I. This is awkward. I think we should try it. I think all three of us should slap each other and who, see who what? can handle the slap most. I'm going with the Will Smith form. The reach back and... That's how you going people don't Chris know Chris Rock. But what he just did is he reached down. I don't, I don't understand My, what that I don't does have for enough you.
1: Space behind me. I don't know what I, that does for did you. You, say, you. You remember the, uh, ah, the Will
3: Smith. Yeah. And I'm going to do the Chris Rock reaction. Wow. <laughs> wow.
2: It was a G.I. Jane joke, man. 65780 oh, is the air comfort
1: service text line for bet it or forget it. Guys, bet it or forget it. The Blues make at least one trade this offseason for a player that ends up either as your top pairing defensively or as a top six forward. Bet it.
2: One of those two things are going to happen this offseason. And we'll talk to Curbs about this. And I think he would agree with this, but I, I just. I think for how you were at the trade deadline and the rumors that came out that they were aggressively going after a Jacob Chickren and a Hampus Lindholm, for the Matthew Kachuk conversations, I think those two are going to be the topic of conversation all offseason long, especially when you get to the draft, and then once free agency kicks in, I'm going to bet this.
3: I think I'm going to bet this, too. And I I think I'm leaning more towards it's probably going to be on the defensive side that they make that kind of a trade, because Chickren makes all the sense— in the world for this team. And even if it's not him, like uh, Hampus Lindholm that we were, or not Hampus Lindholm, who were we just talking about from Philadelphia? Pro, uh, Proveroff. Proverof.
2: Proverof. Or Sanheim.
3: One of those two makes sense as well. Go get someone. If you fail to get the Jacob Chikrin, you can still go acquire someone to go fill that spot where Nick Letty is. I, I kind of expect Letty to walk. I, I don't see them signing him back. I think the Blues will make a
1: trade for a defenseman. up. So I'm betting this. I'm betting this as well. I think something big happens this offseason. It, it's just too quiet out there. I know it's early on in the Um, offseason, but there seems to be more and more speculation that this will be a quote-unquote quiet offseason for the Blues, all things considered, relative to what it's been in recent years. Um, I don't think that's going to sustain. I I think they will make some kind of a big move. Uh, Guys, bet it or forget it, both Harrison Bader and Tommy Edmund have at least 35 stolen bases this season.
2: Did you see Tommy Edmund steal third base last night? It was amazing. (laughs) I love this guy. Uh, so where are the uh, Tommy Evans at 11 Evans at 11 Evans is at 12. 12 At 35 I'm gonna You said one of them right? Both of them Oh see I'm gonna forget that I don't know if both of them get there I'm gonna bet one of them gets there Because I, I'm not saying that this is going to happen But I mean let's all be honest Injuries do pop up at some point It's a long season to keep guys at 100% 35 for both of them seems tough I'm going to forget this. I think one of them gets there.
3: Yeah, I'm going to forget this, too. I, it just seems too tough for both of them to get to 35 stolen bases. Plus, stolen bases aren't, aren't even, like, a big thing anymore. Like, 13. for the
1: Cardinals. I,
3: I, I get it, but, like, 13 stolen bases, like, you look at that and you go, wow, that's a lot of stolen bases. That's it's like on pace for nothing.
1: 42. I, that, is a, that is absolutely something. Even when, back in the I heyday. I,
3: I don't see these guys. I don't see both of these guys stealing 35. I think one will. I don't see both.
1: I'm I hear you, but it. I I just disagree on the assessment that stolen bases aren't a big thing right now. Um, I mean that's a lot. He, Thirteen I, stolen bases. Hear
2: what you're saying? Yeah, but you're wrong. See, this is, slapped. yeah, this is this is it right here. This is where BK gets slapped, and I B, like Harrison
1: it. Harrison Bader's on pace for 42 stolen bases. Tommy Edmund is currently on pace that's for. But I hear it
3: with the advanced metrics. <laughs> Not a fan. <laughs> yeah, have, have
1: you heard uh, Skip Schumacher talk about it? I've the Cardinals absolutely value the stolen about base. About wool bacon. Um, I'm going to bet it. I think both of them end up getting to at least 35 stolen bases. What was Tommy Ed been at last year? Was it 30? Is that what he finished the season with? He had, he had 30 on the year. Oh. So I, I think he gets to 35, and I think Harrison Bader will as well. What's Harrison it? Bader is quietly putting together a pretty decent season once again.
3: I was going to say, what did Starling Marte finish with last year? Because he led, I think, the, the league as a whole.
1: Uh, I would have to imagine it was around 35-ish. Let's take a look. So far this year, by the way, Julio Rodriguez leads all of baseball with 14 on the season. Last year, it was Starling Marte with 47. Whip Merrifield finished oh. with 40 last year within second. Trey Turner had 32 third place in all of baseball. With Alex Ferrario and Erickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind. Someone called us fluid beta boys. All of us, not just you. Sorry, man. Guilty by association. Chris <sighs> Kerber, the voice out, of the yeah. blues, is next here on 101 ESPN we're right back to the
0: bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn we're right back to more of it it's bk and ferrario live from the car shield studio on 101 espn
2: Brewers, who are like, well, we really have a problem at shortstop, makes the move for Adamus and goes gangbusters and wins the division. Cardinals were never really in the division after that. So is there an Adamus move for a starter?
1: That was Derek Gould on the best podcast in baseball. You can check it out over at the St. Louis post-dispatch website alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I think Derek Gould does a great job of covering the Cardinals. And it's a really interesting point. We're hoping to have Chris Kerber, by the way, whenever he's available to us here in just a little bit. Um, I, I am very curious to see what that Willie Adamas move could or would be. For the Cardinals, because I don't think that is in their M.O., no pun intended. That is not something that you typically see them do. They don't jump the market. They don't make that big, early, aggressive move. That is very much a David Stearns type of reputation, the president of baseball operation for the Brewers. But, Tanner, I asked you this earlier today. If the Cardinals were to do this, who's the guy or the guys uh, that could be available that would be of interest to the Cardinals? I got one. Alex, who do you have? Dallas Keuchel. (laughs)
2: <laughs> hey, easy, Stalter. The lane doesn't start until 2 today. Hey, I'm you're so bothering at, You're yeah. bothering our friends
3: at Casey, Casey having too. a great
2: show right now. I just got like, by <laughs> What's happening over there?
1: I, I can't do it with the <laughs> Dallas Keiko conversation. If we talk about him one more time, <laughs> I mean, you I'm going a Willie to
3: Adamas move, and so, that's
2: Dallas Keiko
3: So I was looking around for a Willie Adamas-type move, and there's not, really, there's not really one that is... Um, that stands out to me as for a starting pitcher. And it's one that I look at and I go, it's probably too obvious. And honestly, it's not a move the Cardinals would make, but we can throw him out there anyways. And that would be Pablo Lopez of the Marlins. That's not happening. I was looking because there's nobody, there's no other like solid starting pitcher that's under a decent amount of team control. Cause Lopez has, I think two, he's in arb one year. Yep. He's got arbitration two and three in the next two years. So basically you've got two and a half years of control if you were to acquire him. Everybody else that I look at that are starters are either you look at and you go, eh, not really the guy you, that would fit that Willie Adamas where he can come in and be a game changer and has control. Or there's pitchers that are game changers, but then when you look at their but, uh, contract, it's like four or five years of control, and they're not going to be traded. But see,
2: Pablo Lopez doesn't fall in that category for me because I didn't expect anything from Willie Adamas. He was underperforming, and Pablo Lopez is pitching like a Cy Young candidate right now for Miami. So, like, you're buying high in that circumstance. I he, I don't think he falls in the Willie Adamas category.
3: I, I think that's fair, but in terms of, like, looking at contracts and looking, he's kind of a name that floats under the radar. I know, like, a lot of people, like, at first, when he started this season, he had the ERA of like one when he faced the car. Everybody everybody's like, oh, wow, look at this Pablo Lopez character. He's kind of breaking on the seat. No, Pablo Lopez is very good when he is healthy. That's he's the awesome. issue with him. He, he has dealt with injuries in the past, and that's the problem why people don't really recognize the name because he's not a guy that goes out and makes 32 starts a year because he just hasn't been healthy. He's dealt with various uh, injuries, and then the Mi- Miami Marlins have had to be cautious with him, and they've kind of put him on kind of a innings limit or a pitch limit, and it kind of slows down his development throughout the years. But he's an incredible pitcher that if you could get your hands on him and you could go acquire him for – I don't even know what you'd have to give up in that kind of terms. But you go acquire him, he would be the Cardinals Willie Adamas move because he's the guy that would take you in that cut we just played from Derek Gould where he said after that move, the Brewers never looked back in the NL Central. A Pablo Lopez trade would – Put the Cardinal, or Cardinals ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers and leapfrog them over them, and they would never look back on Milwaukee this season if they went and acquired a Pablo Lopez.
1: So I've got a few names that I would like to throw at you guys. Dallas Keichel on that list, buddy. We are about to have. Oh, are you going to slap me? Our moment. <laughs> <laughs> it is not well, going to end well. Weird. Why For are we going to have a moment? Um, I. I don't know that the Cardinals are going to be willing to meet what the asking price is for Pablo Lopez. I mean, the reality is he's pitched so unbelievably well this year. I think it would require you to send Miami a Gorman win or Walker. I think the, the conversation starts there, and then you can continue if you're willing to include one of those guys. I just don't get the sense that the Cardinals are going to be realistically willing to include any of those guys, much less... Wow.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, obviously, potentially no, I mean, multiple one was already a no go. And the way Gorman's playing now, it seems that's two no go's. And by the way, so far this year, for what it's worth, uh, Pablo Lopez has a one point three
1: a one point eight ERA <laughs> yeah. in 60 innings. Yeah, that ain't happening. I, I just don't know how you end up acquiring that guy for the price that it would take. So if we set that one to the side, I've got a few names. Let's start with the one that's the obvious. And that's Frankie Montes. He is a very good pitcher. He's pitching for the Oakland A's. He has one more year of club control next year, um, and he was available all offseason, and the question is who's going to be able to get him. So far this year, he's thrown 65 innings. He has a 3.2 ERA. He would immediately come in, throw 96, be one of the top-end starters in this rotation. He would be in the Cardinals' playoff rotation. That guy immediately makes you better. Another one, and this is going down a level, would be Merrill Kelly. Oh, He's been pretty good this year, and you look back at 2020, he was pretty good in 2020 as well, had a 2.6 ERA in the shortened season. Last year, he was all right. I think he was hurt by some of what they had defensively behind He's him. It's like a Lance Lynn kind of, throws a lot of fastballs. Doesn't really walk anybody. Like, Merrill Kelly is a pretty solid starter. He's 33 years old. This is probably the the end of what he is as a pitcher right now, but He's got this year left on his deal, and he's got a couple of more years on club options as well. So you've got two more years of club control after this year at $9 million per season. He's somebody that could be of interest. Another guy, I'm just going to throw his name out there. We can move right along. Kyle Gibson makes a lot of sense once again.
2: Back to this guy.
1: Given what has happened this year for the Phillies. (laughs) Can I give you one kind of outside the box option? I don't think they would go this route and I'm not sure he would be available. But if the Phillies decide to blow things up. Oh, yeah. What about Zach Wheeler? Oh, I was thinking Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola. Either way. What about one of those two, whether it be Aaron Nola or Zach Wheeler? Would you have interest in one of those two guys and acknowledging it is going to cost you a decent amount? Aaron Nola has one year left on a club option next season. And this year, so far, he's thrown 60 innings. He has a 3.6 ERA. He's been better than that, though. They have terrible defense behind him. Zach Wheeler has, once again, no surprise to anybody, been very good for them. He just eats innings like it is his job. He's 32 years old, 51 innings so far this season, 3.2 ERA. Again, outperforming that based on the expected numbers because the defense behind him is so bad. I think those are your... Willie Adamas type of aggressive, let's go out there and beat the market type of moves. But it would require the Padres or the the Phillies rather to basically blow up their season.
2: Yeah, and I don't think they're going to be doing that because if there's one thing going for them, it's the fact that Zach Wheeler and Aaron Noah, the one that I would be uh, be interested in, those two are, I mean, are their only pitchers right now. The other two that we didn't bring up and I know have been brought up in the past, Madison Bumgarner, but you're paying a lot of money. And it's so many years left on his deal. And then the other one that I, I'll go back to is, I forgot who was the one that told us it last year, but Shane Bieber. I mean, we've talked about it. And look, Cleveland, he they're only like sense. six games out of the playoffs, so it's not like they're awful, but... Uh, I just don't expect them to be very competitive. But that falls into the same conversation as um, the guy that you brought up with Pablo Lopez. Like, I think you're going to have to give up a lot to get Shane Bieber that the Cardinals aren't going to be willing to move on from. And that's why I think you go to the the veteran already on a big money
1: deal, because those guys are limited in terms of who would be willing and able to acquire them. Like, not every team is going to be able to take on that contract by Zach Wheeler at $25 million per season for the next couple of years. There's a lot of lower level, like mid-level markets that are just going to say, no, like we're not we're interested in a $25 million pitcher over the next couple of years that's in his 30s. The Cardinals might be willing to take on that risk, given the uncertainty about the future of Adam Wainwright at the front end of the rotation, the clear uncertainty about what Jack Flaherty's future holds here in St. Louis. And you don't have a whole lot of time that remains on Miles Michaelis's deal. Isn't it one year left after this year for him as well? Yeah. So that second year of the contract He could be the only big money pitcher that you have on the books at that point in time because you're not paying a ton of money to Steven Matz either. And you've got a lot of young guys that are now about to be in that rotation. So if there is a surprising, whoa, okay, that's an aggressive move out there available to them. I think it might be one of those guys at the front end of the rotation for the Philadelphia Phillies if and when they are ready to make that big move. I think that's the that's the team that the the Cardinals should be targeting this year.
3: Yeah, I I agree with you. I just have trouble seeing the Philadelphia Phillies being on the verge of blowing. Not even on the verge. I I can't see them selling off this season because of all the money that they put into this team and the and the fact of the pressure that's mounting already on Joe Girardi where people are already starting to call for Joe Girardi's job. And that's not on Joe Girardi. Uh, Joe Girardi's a great manager. Uh, but I, I just have trouble seeing them trying to tear that apart. So I, I, I can't really see them making a move for somebody.
1: Chris Kerber, the voice of the blues, on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and
0: Ferrario podcast
1: presented by Dobbs Tire and
0: Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. More of the guys right now, BK and Ferrario, brought to you by Smart House Heating and Cooling on 101 ESPN.
1: from today's show be sure to check it out on the podcast page still presented by dobbs tire and auto centers we're open to have chris kerber today it looks like he's gonna have to move to friday but we're excited to talk with him on friday we will also will have bill ripkin of mlb network oh yeah
3: yeah looking forward to that mike
1: mckenna's gonna join us on friday as well of joey tomorrow to talk about the blues lots of stuff throughout the next couple of days here on bk and ferrario the
3: biggest thing i learned today Apparently, Alex doesn't like me, and nobody knew.
1: Well, there's only a lot of animosity you in here, man. Yeah, <laughs> I think you were the only one that didn't PK know PK and one. I talk about it nightly. <laughs> I got to give some credit uh, to a guy that I don't give a lot of credit to very thanks, often. Thanks,
2: man. I appreciate it. I've, I've, I thought today was a really good show for me. Not you. Not okay. you. okay.
1: See, th- this is why there's animosity. This is you why you started, need to be slapped. Okay. Dakota Hudson has been awesome today. Now, he still needs to get his strike count up a little bit. I would like to see him closer to, like, 60-plus percent strikes. If he does, man, he can be a really effective pitcher for the Cardinals. But he's at,
2: like, 55% now, isn't he? Mm, Ish.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, 53-and-a-half. As we're speaking, he's through six-and-a-third. He has allowed two hits, one walk. He only has one strikeout. I don't even care about strikeouts with Dakota Hudson. You know he's going to be pitching to contact, and then he lives with whatever the results are behind him. So far, he has thrown 86 pitches, and he has threw six and a third innings. That's what you need out of Dakota Hudson. If that means giving up two or three earned runs over the six and a third, that's fine. I can live with that. He's your number four or five starter when your rotation is fully healthy right now. You just need the innings out of him, man. And we've known that he's capable of this. We talked about it before the season. Shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody if the season ended and Dakota Hudson was a guy that we were talking about as an extension candidate. who's was totally in play coming into the year. After his first, whatever it was, five or six starts, I was like, man, I, I don't know how much longer they can do this with him being in the rotation. If this is the way that he's going to be pitching with four and two thirds, five, four and two thirds, four and two thirds. That's just not going to get it done. That's a number five starter at best And the way that he was walking guys it was worse than that. This is the guy that he needs to be moving forward and if you get more of this, we're gonna start feeling much better about where the Cardinals are at in the rotation.
2: Well, and this is gonna be one of the moments I think for Dakota Hudson to be like, okay this is this was the recipe for success. So whatever we just did today, let's continue to build forward with this in mind and I just told you during the break and I don't know this uh, Brad Thompson would know this better than me, but like you know how long post Tommy John, the guys start to feel better. Like, I know that's an 18-month recovery and you're back at it, but even beyond that, you know, when you've missed as much time as Dakota Hudson has, does it take 10, 15 starts into a season where you're on the same schedule that a normal guy would be? Does it take a little bit of time to get that that acclimation back? That's the question I would have with Dakota Hudson. I think when I'm really going to note, like, John Gant, we had the moment in June where it just dropped off. June, July is when I think you're going to look at Dakota Hudson and say, okay, are you trending upwards or are you regressing? That's when you're going to know who he is.
3: Yeah, I think these are big months for him because you're going to figure out whether or not he can, if he's going to be able to survive, whether it be the 50% strikes or the walks that he has, or if he's going to end up sinking like you did with John Gantt. I don't expect Dakota Hudson to sink like you did with John Gant. I think Dakota Hudson has the stuff to where he can kind of survive if he is going to have the low strike percentage and the high walk rate, but this is a really impressive day for him. And, and it, we were just talking about this in the break. It just feels like it's slow starts for him. Cause that first heading was at like 25, 26 pitches. And I was thinking to myself, well, there we go. Here we go. Another four or five inning start for Dakota Hudson, but he's really been able to settle in and look the Padres offense, not the same without Fernando Tatis, but it's still a, Really good showing from him against a team that is right there in that same tier as you in terms of competing for the National League. So this is an impressive start for Dakota Hudson. And I'm with Alex. Hopefully you can build on it, especially build some confidence here in the month of June when you're playing some of these bad teams that we talked about earlier, where you're playing the Reds, the Cubs, and the Pirates quite a bit this month.
1: I also think it speaks to the Padres' lack of offense. Like I, I, I know... I'm giving most of the credit to Dakota Hudson. I want to say that on the front end, but also when you look at what the lineup is right now for San Diego, God, they are just really struggling offensively. And it is so surprising to me because when you look at they the names, all of
2: the guys in there,
1: when you look at the names that are in that lineup, I know they're missing Fernando Tatis Jr., but it should not be this bad. And they've been one of the worst, least productive offenses in baseball so far this year. And they changed coaching staffs in the offseason. Hey, I'll say it. Mike Schulte effect, pitching great, <laughs> offense not. Um, And to your question on how long it typically takes for the Tommy John harvest, it's typically about a year when you recover and and that's when you're able to get back to the big leagues. That was the case for Dakota Hudson. It's about 18 months more often than not is when you start feeling like you're back to yourself, at least based on everything that uh, I've read about this over the years. He's at 21 months right now. So the hope is this is starting to get more uh, the guy that you can expect moving forward. So fingers crossed. This is who he is. Looks like a number two to me. He he looks really good today. And if you can get through seven innings consistently with him, even if it's three, maybe even four earned runs on average, man, that is a perfect guy to have at the back end of your rotation. You're just
2: going to sip on that uh, pina colada a little bit more if he's doing this for you.
1: Hell yeah. And I'm feeling really good if he looks like this.
2: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner
1: Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN.
0: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: A good story helps us understand the world and how to make it better. That idea drives what we do on the Daily News podcast, Post Reports. We bring you stories that empower people. You know this is a
3: fraud, right? Why are you calling people doing this?
2: And that hold powerful people accountable. You did what? We had to sue your office twice to get our hands on these documents.
1: My name is Martine Powers. I co-host the show. Take the trusted reporting of The Washington
2: Post wherever you go. Follow and listen to Post Reports.